You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Mad Max Fury Road. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Moklinski. Does it matter? Fine. You just yell fool, and I'll do whatever. (laughs) And with our uh, Mad Max Fury Road tagline, Kelly Wand. Best Hal Needham movie since The General. I like that one, Kelly Wand. Uh, does it need a backup? Uh, I, I feel like you could just go with that as the sole tagline for the week. Best Tom Hardy driving movie since Locke. Also a good one. Also a good one. I bet Dingus understood that one. Uh, and this time Tom Hardy's doing party favors to the concrete. <laughs> oh. I'm sure someone listening might have gotten that one. It's a Locke joke. Yeah. Remember, he says he's doing favors to the concrete. Mm-hmm. But now did, he's doing did you party get that last one? I don't understand party favors, but you know, I, I never trust. Uh, what about happy ending? Never trust God with the party favors. Best Talnita movie since The General. No, I like that one a lot. Oh, that's a great one, Kelly. You should stick with that one. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't lead with the the best one. I should say the best one, but right. by then it's too exhausting. It's kind of like the Mad Max movies. Save the best one for last. <gasps> Spoiler. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Did I say that? <laughs> oh, is there going to be a fifth one? Before we talk about Mad Max movies, Kelly Wand, give us an IMDb movie synopsis. The original characters from the first Cannonball Run movie race across the country once more in various cars and trucks. The Sheik who competed at the last Cannonball Run is berated by his father for not winning it, so he tells him to go and win. Problem is that there's no cannonball run. So his father tells him to make one of his own. He puts Kim- up- oh, sorry, I thought you were done. He puts up a million dollars as the prize. So former cannonballers JJ and his buddy Vince. <laughs> That's Tom Delaware's name. Uh, as does Blake and Fenderbomb and some other characters. But Blake and Fenderbomb owe a mobster some money and the mobster owes some other guy more. He then remember- decides. Oh, sorry, I thought you were done. Then decides to grab the sheik and hold him for ransom so he can pay the guy back. Dennis, remember when the uh, the IMDb synopses were were like fun little clever things from movies that we didn't know and they were oddly written and they were kind of exciting every week. Remember that? That was fun. Those were the days, weren't they? Yeah, they you really didn't think were. that was oddly written. Is any IMDb synopsis? But you're just picking things that are obvious from the get go what they are, and then it's well, there's, there's no suspense. There's nothing fun. I mean, when you did Batman and Robin, please, yeah. Not suspenseful? All right. I'll try to... Kelly, when you're, you're doing what I was worried George Miller was going to do with a Mad Max movie. You've lost touch with the IMDb synopsis franchise. Ooh. I'm doing what Joss Whedon did with Age of Ultron. Yes, you are. Exactly. Thank you. Do um, you remember a movie that was like Cannonball Run but had the word gumball in it? Yeah, Gumball Rally, bro. Oh, Gumball Rally. Thank you. I, also, I only remember seeing that. I, I don't remember Cannonball. Cannonball on 3 is called Speed Zone, and Burt Reynolds' character is now John Candy, and Dom Delaware's is Dom Dixon. Speed Zone. Hmm. All right, so that was this week's IMDb synopsis. Uh, next week, Dingus will be doing the IMDb synopsis next week. Look forward to oh. This is all about Batman and Robin, isn't it? Uh, th- this one is a Cannonball Run movie. I'm not even sure I knew there were multiple cannonball runs. That's how little I care about them. I knew there were two. I had no idea there was uh, cruise control or whatever you said number three was. Yeah. What year were these movies, Kelly Wand? Which how, one? How far back? 81. You? 81. Wow. Okay. It's a reach around. Hmm. It's a timeless genre. 
Remember, the, and also the Cannibal Run had a really cool um, studio logo on it, where it's like a little cartoon cop car chases Burt Reynolds, and then he hides in the Zero, the 20th Century Fox logo, and then a bunch of cars crash, and then he goes <laughs> like that. Everyone, what is better, Cannonball Run or the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds with Nicolas Cage? That's a remake? There's an original Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, the Nicolas Cage thing was a remake. Which sequel is better, Smoking the Bandit 2 or Cannonball Run 2? Oh, God. Cannonball Run 2. Smoking the Bandit 2 is a huge misfire. Smoking the Bandit 1 is as well. Like, I just don't understand the appeal. I mean, you you really have to, like, be into Burt Reynolds, I think, to be into the Smoking the Bandit movies. Or into Coors. No, Jackie Gleason's funny in it. Um, yeah, but I don't, not, not enough to carry the movie. I mean, it's really that, it's, it's really lowbrow, broad humor. It just didn't work for me. Well, in the third one, Burt Reynolds is in it, and Jerry Reed wears a mustache in it. And, um. The best actor in the Cannonball Run movies is Jerry Reed's Basset Hound. And Sinatra. Very true. Wait. Dingus, uh, why don't you tell the listeners what we watched this week? Without giving anything away, no spoilers, um, just give them a broad overview, perhaps. All right. Well, this week we saw Mad Max colon Fury Road, a 2015 Australian post-apocalyptic action-adventure series movie about where must we go, we who wander this wasteland, in search of our better selves. Dang, is this a spoiler from the, the... What do you call a title card at the end? An end title card? Yeah, it's a spoiler. Okay. Easter egg. Do you know who said that? Who it's attributed the, the to? The first... Oh, shoot. Tom the, first, just the first sage. No, the first... Ted Um I'm going to go with the first sage and hope that I'm close enough to get a half point. You're, you're close. I'll give you a half point for that. It's, it's the first history man. History man. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, it was directed by George Miller oh and oh written by him with Brendan McCarthy and Nico Aturis. But he goes, he also goes by Nick, but he's attributed, it's, it's Nico for this, Nico Aturis. Uh, it stars Charlize Theron, oh Zoe God. Kravitz, Riley Keogh, <laughs> Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, oh my God. Jones, oh my God. and Tom Hardy. Mad Max Fury Road is rated R mm. for intense sequences of violence throughout and for disturbing images. Oh, the nice. uh, Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> opened at number two. What? It had the daylight speed out of it by Pitch Perfect 2. Which is oh my fucking to me. god! That is oh amazing. God. That is simply amazing. Well, it, it's, it's I mean, it's an example of so. So, uh, Pitch Perfect two opened far exceeded expectations. By the way, opened at number one with seventy million dollars. Uh, Mad Max two or two. Uh, Mad Max four opened at number two. <laughs> Uh, with forty-four million dollars, forty um, million—that's it. Well, that—that's pretty. Well, it's much, an R. You know? It's it's an R. Uh, it is a, it is a, it's an R. It's a franchise that has not been relevant for thirty years. Um, mm. It doesn't have Tom Tom Hardy. Say what you will about him, and we all like him on this podcast. He is not a box office draw. Like he has not proven that that he can carry a movie the way that uh, in, you know, like Tom Cruise or someone can. Or Mel Gibson. Or Mel Gibson back in the day. Uh, so $40 million is, is it about pretty much what they were expecting. I think they were actually – the estimate oh. was $41 million, right. So they did a little better than expected. Um, well, did they market it based on him or on her? I, the marketing I've seen, I mean, they've def- definitely been using her. Uh, they've been the big, colorful posters and, and stuff. Like, I, 
I, I think it's been marketed as well as it could be. Um, okay. But yeah. I, I just don't think I don't, I don't think it was going to have a seventy million dollar opening. Um, three hundred did. Oh, so it's not, not disappointing. A, it's just something. Uh, three hundred. Right, right. It's not disappointing. But but three hundred Kelly Wand. If you remember, I mean, three hundred was a. Uh, I guess it was a comic book movie. Um, I mean, the opening of 300 was, again, that exceeded expectations. I don't think anybody expected that that Zack Snyder movie was going to do that well. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't think it's – I, I mean, it, it – well, let's let's talk about the other gauge of a, of a movie. The critical reception on this thing is amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. What? I know. Isn't that, that just – that's that's astonishing. Oh, how 98? 98, the Metacritic uh, average and Metacritic – because people will tend to uh, sort of hedge their bets on action, on genre movies. But even on Metacritic, it's at 89. Like the average review, for, the average rating from various reviews, and even reviews that don't use ratings, they, they get a number to, to be included in Metacritic. Uh, so 89 on, on Metacritic. Wait, it's 98, you said. Now you changed to 89. No, no, it's 89 on Metacritic. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes just uh, gauges whether overall review is positive or negative, and the percentage of them that are gauged positive it is 98%. A few sticks in the mud, I presume, who maybe were turned off by the violence or whatever, but this is as close as you're going to get to universally recognizing a, a movie's quality. I mean, this is – it's phenomenal, the critical reception of this thing. The Pitch Perfect I can't thing. believe 98. Yeah. And, and Pitch Perfect, by the way, it's also an example of, of absolute um, – uh, I, I don't know if you call it counter-programming, but these are both aimed at, 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 at almost entirely separate uh, target yeah. audiences. Um, Whenever there's a battle of the sexes, we always lose. That's what I fucking notice. <laughs> well, well, let's not, go, let's not be hasty. Out. Tom, what's he saying to me? I'm saying that um, – well, anyway, we can talk about chick movies. and, and yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, I mean just based on – what I mean, not regardless of the substance of the movie or, or themes in it, which is some amazing stuff we'll talk about in Mad Max. But obviously, one of these is a boy action movie, and one is a girl comedy. Uh, there's like no overlap in terms of you know. I don't think either movie is cannibalizing either other uh, the other movie's box office. Um, right. And and this is you know because Pitch Perfect is a franchise, it's a brand, it's an established thing. Versus Mad Max, um, it's not necessarily hey. It's a better idea to target women than men. It's hey, it's a better idea to have an established franchise like like Pitch Perfect. Uh, so if the chicks in Fury Road had sung, would they have beaten the Pitch Perfect chicks? Obviously, Kelly Wand. You're, you're also I, I, what I like about what you're saying about overlap is that even if you're not talking about girls going to see it, you, you might be talking about a whole um, audience of younger like theater geeks, be they boy or girl, right, right. Um, who will go to see that movie and have access to it in large groups, whereas they might not have parents who would drag them to or, or allow them to go see an R movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and it, right, that's another thing. Yeah, the rating, you can't, for an R rating, this is this is phenomenal. I mean, nobody is disappointed with Mad Max's opening. Maybe you... Uh, I am. Well, because you haven't even seen Pitch Perfect yet. Uh, so you don't, you don't understand the appeal of Pitch Perfect, Kelly Wand. We're very disappointed in you. Yeah. It's man. Pitch Perfect's Fury Road for Chicks. Nope. Pitch Perfect is for dudes. This whole idea that Pitch Perfect is for chicks. I mean, is Bridesmaid for for chicks? Kelly wants. Did you did you did you enjoy Bridesmaid? Bridesmaids. Yeah, but well, that's the only go. exception. That's the only good one. Unfortunately, Dingus and I did not get to see because of various scheduling things this weekend. I know we were both keen to see it. I suspect we'll see it over the course of the week. But Dingus and I haven't seen Pitch Perfect two yet. Yeah, well, we really wanted he... to see both 
this weekend so that we could report on it, but we just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so instead, let's talk some Mad Max Fury Road. Kelly Wan, why don't you give us a Mad Max Fury Redopsis? <laughs> you can't just tack it on at the end. Really? What the hell's well, wrong with you? Well, what should I have done? What, what would you call a synopsis, Kelly Wan, of I Mad Max like, Fury Road? I kind of like Redopsis because it sounds scientific. Right, exactly. It's like something you would publish in a journal. Right. Okay, so Wand, what, you, yeah, what do you call it, Kelly Wand? You're the Mad author Ma- here. Yeah, go ahead. It's the auteur theory in action. Mm-hmm. Mad Mop Fury Ropesis. <laughs> All right, I'm sold. Kelly Wand, whatever that is, I want to hear it. Go. Right, Kelly Wand, wa- uh, drive, <laughs> drive it like you hijacked it. Oh, you get to say it. It beats something. He's your very good friend. I'm bummed you weren't here for Chappie to make like a Chappie theme. Oh, I saw Chappie, by the way. Uh, what? I know, right? Which opened the? Yeah, never mind. I saw I a lot. I've been seeing a lot of things. I, I, I saw. I want to go ahead real quick um, because I know you guys like Orphan. I know we all like Liam Neeson. Uh, I, I really think you guys need to see Run All Night, which is something we avoided based on uh, a disappointing um, nonstop and uh, unknown. The other Juan Colette Sarah movies were with Liam Neeson. You liked Run All Night? Yeah, yeah. I, I went and saw that this week, uh, and and was really surprised. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened. Not only did I've I never I seen a Taken movie. Uh, Dingus, you, uh, eh, I think you can skip. I mean, they're they're fine, but uh, Dingus, you especially, I think, should see Run All Night. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Fine. Right, but anyway, let's let's yeah, let's get back on on track, as it were. Uh, let's get back on on the correct route. Kelly Wan, why don't you give us the what what is it called again? Mad Mop Fury Ropesis. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Said like that. An iguana does nothing while Mad Max pees on him and stares at distant CG. Mad Max's voiceover is all, as you can tell from the occasional montages, I'm still annoyed about how my daughter always used to jump scare me by turning into a scorpion or a metaphor while I was trying to have a nice nightmare. But it's also made me hungrier. The iguana's all, what? Max steps on him. Then starts eating his shoe. Since the apocalypse destroyed salt, he sprinkles sand on it. His voice overs all. That's why there's only one law on Fury Road. Survive. And no parking on Sundays. But rules don't apply to the mad. Guess that's why I became a motorcycle cop. Or did we wreck on that? Some words are all, Mad Mop, Fury ropes us. <laughs> mad Max stares and chews some more. He's all, yeah, enforcing traffic rules in Australia after an apocalypse. That was me peak, happiness-wise. Mad Max looks through his heart-shaped hands and goes, Damn, me monologuing and chewing noises attracted the attention of a thousand skull-faced men on dune buggies with fire spears made out of porcupines. Ah, well, first world problems. Better use some of those survival skills I was just thinking about. Let's see. Where's me underwear? Good, round my ankles. Now for me first sock. The gang surrounds him, beats him with tire irons, rape his car, pour oil into his butthole, chain him up, and bolt a metal steel mask to his face. Then they giggle and point at him in the mask and go, No! (laughs) 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 Those dicks. Then they tape him to a hood ornament shaped like a cage. One of them's the warm bodies guy. To have some fun, I pretend it's Kelsey Grammer. Mad Max gets driven to a city where the tribespeople from Apocalypto, another Mel Gibson movie, spend all their time waiting for water to fall on them from a giant Zardoz skull. The place has no name and is ruled over by Bane as an old band. An old band? <laughs> uh, 
Bane stands up and addresses his parched CG subjects. Thank you all for screaming thirstily at the sight of my also-masked balls. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank the peeps and personnel who catered this today and have made my tyranny here at Death Skullopolis as comfortable as possible. Let's give it up for the bad boys of cannibalism, Grease Paint Joe, and the auxiliary ogle-bogs of Yippa East End. Give them a hand. I couldn't have imported all this dust without their initiative and patience. You guys are aces, seriously. Said I wasn't going to do this. Sorry, anyway, I just want to say that it's thanks to people like you who helped transform skull-faced aquifers from stone of bullshit to science fact. He gestured to some skeleton guys lounging around on a metal scaffold. <laughs> One guy at the back of the crowd's all, Kevin! <laughs> Bane farts thoughtfully. The skull's teeth yawn open. It vomits water all over the crowd. They must not be that thirsty since instead of trying to catch any in a cistern, they stick to their mouths and bowls with holes in the bottom. Like an interstellar. Instead of wanting to be alive, in this one, the warm bodies guy wants to die as loudly as possible. He's also really big on the Australian myth of Valhalla. He walks up to his friend and goes, Hey, Craig, uh, you can finish farting in Mad Max's face there later. Plus, he's wearing that steel mask. You're not really accomplishing much. Listen, I had a cool activity idea. Let's go to that trippy 3D gorge full of lightning, CG, and cyclones. It should be fatal. The friend's all, Okay. Warm bodies all, come on, please. Here, we'll bring this forklift with Mad Max in a cage chained to our head just in case we need his blood. Oh, yeah, and don't forget our steering wheel. The friend with the mohawk and skull-faced grease paints all. What do I look like? A quadriplegic midget looks over at Bane as he backs away from the parapet. Bane's all. Sometimes I think these people only hang out with us for the water. They never join in when I do the wave. The midget's all. Dude, no one can understand a word you're even saying with that fucking mask on. Bane's all. Look, there's a lot of trouble to smelt all these teeth under my lips, and I'm done taking advice from you on what looks good, Gary. He walks up to a row of matrons being breast-milked by robot nipples and goes, Uh, so Valentine's Day's Thursday, and I know poetry isn't what any of you asked for, especially after last year, but... The midget's all. Hey, Bane, that extremely sensitive task of driving our five hot young girls someplace by truck, you got someone trustworthy for that, right? Bane's all, yeah, yeah, Charlize Theron. She keeps saying she's royalty of a matriarchy. It's something she keeps calling the green place. Plus, I know she's careful because she's missing an arm. I look over at Tina Turner and go, that's what happens to arms when you don't swerve while running away from a rolling spaceship. I look down to find a text from Tom in the United States that says, the name of that ship was the circumference. Anyway, Charlize Theron has an oversized bionic hand like Luke and Ash, but it keeps falling off her stump, just like Gary Sinise's kept doing in Forrest Gump. Charlize Theron heads out with her truck full of meat cuties. One of them's the hot blonde for who replaced Megan Fox in Transformers. In this, the camera pans down to show she's pregnant. I look over and go, still interested. <laughs> Charlize tricks her skinhead escorts for a few hours by saying, Hey, let's go east. But after a bunch of skateboard punks show up on segways and start throwing fire spears at everybody and each other, the head skin heads all. What the east? All right, I take the truck, too. Hey, ineffectually, one at a time, I said. Bane's so pissed off about Charlize's treachery, he comes after her in a sand crawler. It has a human-sized marionette with a flamethrower, bungee corded to its hood. For some reason, the flamethrower has strings on it. You guys can explain that to me later. The warm bodies guys all, now for whatever. 
He punches the Valhalla button on his dashboard. This makes his hood pop open and hurls a fire spirit nothing. As it flies past his head, Mad Max is all, Oh, me here! Another guy drives up alongside them in a black Trans Am and honks. Mad Max is all, Hey, me horn! The car explodes. Mad Max shakes his head irritably as fiery body parts pelt his face. But luckily, when the smoke clears, he's now driving the truck. Rosie Huntington's all, Hey, Mad Max, look, Pebble almost hit me in the face. Mad Max is all, Thumbs up to survival, character. She sticks her head out again. What? He's all, My thumb said his thumb explodes. A skinhead driving the doom buggy behind him goes, Guys, check it out. He explodes. <laughs> the other 400 doom buggies behind them explode. A guy raises a spear with the lit fuse. His head explodes. A thousand exploding boomerangs hurtle at my face. The gyrocopter guy parachutes down and waves to me before a gyrocopter parachutes down to crush him to death and explodes. James Cromwell holding babe explodes. John Lithgow's eyeball staring at the gremlin on the wing explodes. Heather Thomas's top explodes. Gallagher's watermelons explode. The sun explodes. The universe explodes. Every universe explodes. And prismatic rainbows that spell out in throbbing 3D flames. You're watching Fury Road still. <laughs> FYI, a German in front of me leaps to his feet. Zeke hiles the screen and goes, Noise and Z! How dare you. Hunchback in a gimp suit takes out some knitting needles and carves a stillborn baby out of Rosie Huntington, then shoots at its umbilicus. I look over and go, Still interested? Bane slaps the umbilicus out of the guy's mouth. Oh, I leave a little for the dingo, eh? Meanwhile, back at the part of the desert called Fury Road, eventually the cyclones ran out of cars to blow up. Luckily, the sand clogging up Mad Max's mouth and nose saved him from suffocation. <laughs> he doesn't have any broken bones because the flames broke his fall. Mad Max is all, well, it's been real, but I got nowhere to be. He gets back into the truck, starts it up, and hand signals. Charlize is all, Mad Max, wait, we're still being chased by a thousand guys with fire spears. At least my plan of leading them all to my escape. <laughs> God damn it. Who writes this shit? At least my plan of leading them all to my encampment of grandmas with sniper rifles looked good on paper, if paper still existed. But come on, it'd be totally crazy for us not to work together. Look how much we've accomplished so far just by being dumb. Well, totally crazy is my name, sort of. He smiles, but nobody can see it because he's still wearing his retainer. She's all, you know, steel's pretty rare out here. For a guy who says only ten words a movie, your voice must have been pretty annoying for the Skull Guys to waste that much of it making a whole mouthpiece just to keep you quiet. Mad Max is all, right, just for that, I'm only joining you if you've got a decent plan this time. She's all, actually, for me, it's a masterpiece. I have this vague agreement with a bunch of cannibal kids in parkas, like the Brood by way of Tuscan Raiders on bicycles, who they agreed not to blow up my truck until we're parked in the middle of the ravine out there and helpless. Mad Max is all, well, I'll hide under the brake pedal with this spark plug just in case. Warm Bodies is all, Look, guys, a tree trunk. Maybe if we tie cables to it and tow it over here, it'll give us something to do. Everybody sighs miserably and starts shifting shit around in the mud. A bunch of grandmas with sniper rifles walk up. One's all, oh, is that Milikunis? Charlize is all, uh, no, Mom, it's another movie. Speaking of which, where's the green place? I was telling Mad Max here how awesome it is. Granted, our water spigots aren't skull-shaped, but overall it's still cool, right? The old women are all, the green place, yeah, we bailed on that shit. Yeah, it wasn't even all that green. We just called it that because uh, the mud looked green after we spray painted it green, green, green. What's wrong? Oh, by the way, we have these bags of seeds. This one's for fruits. 
These are for OG Kush. This one's a rock. Mad Max is all. Right, listen up, you Sheilas. The Thursday before the Water vs. Oil Wars, I saw this Sheila LaBeouf movie. It was about three men in a tank. No engine, no treads, who six-handedly held off 400 Nazi rocket launches with just straws and paper wads for almost 10 minutes of screen time. That movie was called Fury, and this one's called Fury Road. So what do you say we go back the way we came and take on, on those odds? Yes, Charlie's. So in the tank movie, did they win? Well, one of them hid, and the Nazis forgot to shoot him for some reason. Ready? A bunch of CG in Australia crashes. Mad Max wins, then gets the thirsty tribes people to put Charlie's Theron in charge by dumping a couple corpses out of his car. Then he climbs up, shoots the last of Bane's surviving henchmen, and turns the skull water on. Charlie's is all, great, now all we need to grow all those seeds is dirt. Uh, anybody bring any? Oh yeah, Max, Bane's guys are the only ones who know how to turn the water off, so be sure to leave one of them alive. Mom, what'd you do with the seed bags? Why'd you give them to me? I'm fucking blind. Charlize looks down at the crowd until she sees Mad Max being ignored by the thousands of people who have forgotten they just saw him drive up and desecrate their leader's corpse. Charlize nods down at him hundreds of feet below as if to say, Hey, Mad Max, good luck. Wait, you're leaving? For where? My hand's not the only part of me that's feeling a little rusty. His answering nods all. Thanks, but I heard good things about this Thunderdome place. It's only a few dozen wastelands south of where Fury Road exits onto Irritation Boulevard. Her new nods all. But we already have a midget here. His nods all. Also, my name's Max Rokotansky, Australian Highway Patrol. Not that it's relevant. Some words are all, O wasteland, wherefore be thy wanderer in the naked sands of Wisconsin, the first history of man. A German looks over at me and goes, What the fuck's that mean? I'm all, Sorry, man, I only speak australian the end all right so i want to uh just first say how low my expectations were for this i um you know like like i said it's been it's been 30 years since beyond thunderdome which is a little surprising to realize um and my concern about this uh in in the intervening 30 years george miller's creative output has basically consisted of the happy feet movies uh, which doesn't instill much confidence. Babe Pig in the City actually d- does have a special place, but but for the most part, he did the Happy Feet movies, and he didn't even do those on his own. Like those were there were two co-directors with him for each of those. Uh, furthermore, this is a kind of a textbook example of a quote-unquote troubled project. Um, mm-hmm. He's been trying for so long to get this going. Uh, when he finally did get it going, it, it went behind schedule. It went over budget. There were these stories about how Warner Brothers um, didn't have confidence in him in the shoot, and they sent various um, like studio muckety-muck watchdogs to keep an eye on the, the production. Uh, it, it was done filming over two years ago, and in the interim, uh, they went back and did a bunch of reshoots, uh, partly based on, on poor testing. Um, I, ju- I just was convinced there was uh, no place for... I, I just was sure this was going to be terrible, and and man, am I so glad I am so wrong. I, I I'm just over the moon with this thing. I'm still buzzing from having seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ditto. It's the weird thing. It's like because like Spielberg hasn't done anything actiony good at all, like since War of the Worlds. But like this is like like if this was someone's first movie. I can't believe it tested poorly at any phase. It's so good. It, it takes so many chances, too, considering everything you just said. 
Well, that that that's part of it. It's it's not. Um, it, they, in the on the posters, they they say you know from Mastermind George Miller, and I couldn't help but kind of snicker at that. But having seen that, yeah, I mean this. Yeah. It, I mean this this really does Visionary feel. It does. I mean it, this does feel like a movie made by a visionary. Um, mm-hmm. It is so utterly unique and weird, and has its own sensibility. Even by the way, uh, apart from the other Mad Max movies, which I want to talk about in a little bit. Um, so, Dingus, I'm assuming it didn't work for you. Yeah, I didn't get it at all because I thought oh. I was going to see something about puppets. I don't get that reference. No. It's not a reference. Yeah, I, of course, I loved it. it this, is, this thing is, is fucking brilliant. Uh, the thing is, I, I did. I wasn't going in with low expectations until this week. I decided, well, I'm going to try to watch uh, the Mad Max movies I haven't seen, and I watched Beyond Thunderdome because I thought there's no way it could be that bad. It's almost unwatchable. Yeah, it's terrible. And uh, and granted, he directed it with somebody else. Oh, uh, he shares a credit. There's, there's co-directing credits in Thunderdome. Yeah, there's a dude named George Ogilvy that, that also gets a credit on this. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Um, hmm. But oh my god, it's just it's 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 incompetent, cheap looking. It's just so uh, many bad ideas. You don't even want to stick with it at all. Right. Um, so uh, when we went to see this, I, you know, when we were gearing up to see it, I was kind of excited about it because whatever posters I glimpsed looked really cool. I know that's a pretty weak thing to hang your hat on. But then you were saying how much you were you were intimating you were you had pretty low expectations and so after seeing Beyond Thunderdome I felt like oh my gosh this right. is a trouble production it, it can't be any good and um, there were a couple moments at the beginning or in the early part where I was like uh uh oh uh, but then it, in very short order it just it transformed into this thing that and I'm I'm with you Tom I'm still kind of buzzing about seeing yeah. it. And, uh, you know, we went to see it super late at night, and I was I was at the end of a super, I had a very long day. I was very tired. I thought, I'm in danger of falling asleep, and there was no danger of that in this movie. Holy cats. Uh, what were your early uh-ohs? Because I want to mention one of mine and one here yours. Because um, I, I was, as I was sitting down to watch it, I, you know, thinking, okay, it's George Miller. He's not going to know what he's doing anymore. So I was kind of on the lookout for uh, how quickly am I, gonna re- am I going to realize that this movie is going to suck? Um and I was having a hard time finding a place to, to sort of hang that theory as the movie went on. Yeah. But early on, I thought um, – so Road Warrior, the second Mad Max, opens uh, in motion. Like the first shot, I think, is just a shot of the road just speeding underneath you. And it opens with this sense of speed and kinetic energy and forward motion. Um, this one doesn't. Like it opens with Mad Max just outside of his car looking out over the horizon – so immediately I was like, oh, it's kind of a mistake. You know, a Mad Max movie really should open with something action-y uh, and a way to really draw the viewer in. But that, but, you know, I, I think the reason that it opens kind of still is because once this thing gets going, it does not stop. Never stops. Yeah, it's just like one long sequence almost. And I love that about it. You know, Kelly, yeah, what you said before, day. yeah, you love movies that take place all in one day or all in one night. Like this drive. is all in one drive. Like this is one road yeah. trip pretty much. It's just another day in his life. It's like his Temple of Doom. And I couldn't believe that fact. Once we get to the point where he says it's going to be a really bad day, <laughs> talking about the drive back, I realized, oh, holy, holy cow, this has been one day. <laughs> I love that as a plot twist too. Like, all right, let's go back. <laughs> it's so, it's so simple. And but, but just him cool. describing it, this is going to be a horrific day. But After and then I realized, been- oh, all of this that we've seen so far has taken place 
in this span of time, and it feels like so much more, but in a good way. And that's yeah. too what's what's brilliant about them using uh, uh, Nicholas Holt's, uh, you know, uh, "What a Lovely Day" as the tagline. Um, is yeah, this is just one day. This is an incredible amount of compressed action all in one day, which is which is great. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, so I also one of my concerns is how many ways can you make interesting? Um, you know, we've seen this action before the the the, the convoy assault chase sequence. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, for instance, does a beautiful job with it. Of course, the end of Road Warrior. So how many ways can you make interesting a truck driving along, another car pulling up alongside it, someone jumping from the car onto the truck, and then somebody fighting on top of the truck? You know, we've seen that before. How could you possibly do something new with that? And just just this movie was full of moments where they did something new or weird or or amazing or something that that I had never seen before. Uh, And I love how how it just kept topping itself. Uh, It had so many just amazing, awesome, just breathtaking tricks up its sleeve. Um, You know, from the explosive harpoons, the porcupine cars, you know, a car pulls up with a saw blade on a crane, um, the storm cloud... The tornadoes inside the storm cloud, um, motorcycles ramping up and then throwing bombs down on the truck, uh, those crazy Cirque du Soleil pole trick things. Like, good lord, what, that, that was insane. Um, you know, guys crawling out on the hood and spitting gasoline right into the air take. Yeah. The guitar flamethrower. Just crazy stuff I'd never seen before. Yeah. I loved that about it. And, the, and it doesn't stop to like, to like hold your hand for any of that or like any of like the stupid kind of lines like in Tron Legacy goes that's a big door like it just like you got to keep up with the movie because it's not going to break for you well not only does it not stop Kelly Wan there's no exposition in this this is a classic example and this is part of what I think makes it a masterpiece this is a classic example of of show don't tell you know Mm -hmm. all the world building in this nobody ever sits down and explains to you stuff you know all of this we are shown that, you know, driving is a, is, a, is a sign of status in this culture, the, the way they're fighting for the, the steering wheels, that chrome mouth spray, um, you know, how they're these suicidal fanatical warriors, uh, water as a means of control for this community. You know, nobody ever says, I think maybe later in the movie there's one line, but we're shown that this is what this, uh, is his name Immortan Joe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're shown that's how he, uh, you know, his treatment of women, by the way. We're not shown that what he does. You know, I mean, we're, we're not. Nobody explains this. We're shown when he goes into that vault, and they have sprayed on the the wall before they've left. We are not things. Uh, you know, all that stuff about yeah. the the blood bags. You know, the donors, um, and how these war boys presumably have some sort of illness or cancer. Um, you know, when he explains that he's named his tumors. You know, we're shown that these are like diseased, suicidal guys. Uh, you know, just uh, the stuff about Gastown and Bullet Farm. Uh, this yeah. kind of social structure that they have in these separate armies. Nobody sits down. There's no crawl that tells us all this stuff. It's just a beautiful example of show, yeah. don't tell, just throughout. Even, and also, even any of his of his background as a character, isn't he, he doesn't – George Miller doesn't bog us down in long flashbacks. No. He does these Soft little tune. mini flashes yeah. of, of, of this kid, just flashes. And we're not – it's not explained to us what that is. We're just – left to figure it out for ourselves. Right. And if you haven't seen the first movie, you don't know what's going on. And I like that. I like that that's the, the sum total of exposition are these 
flashes. I'm not going to bog you down in, in, a, in a long flashback from the first movie. I'm not going to use other footage from other movies. I'm just going to do these little flashes for you. Because that, that's you, funny, too, considering that uh, you know the, the second Road Warrior is footage from the first Road Warrior. There is a narrator, you know, Max lost everything. You know, they yeah. explain all of that. Exactly. And that's fine. It's compressed, and then it gets into the movie. But this movie doesn't even do that. You know, it's a zero exposition movie, and it's uh, beautiful for it. Yeah. Even before we see it, it's subverting our expectations. Like, eh, it's, pro- it's just going to be that preview is going to be the only good part. And then when he's standing, like, so many things happen to this that I didn't think were going to happen. Like, he's... It's so ballsy to open the movie with, like, Max, basically immobile for the first 40 minutes of it, and you just have to, like, figure out what's going on with the other characters. He's kind of a bystander for a lot of the movie, yeah. which is, which is yeah, you're right. There's something ballsy about that, and that's, that's great. Um, and, and the pregnancy, the Rosie Huntington thing, like, I, did, I didn't think that was going to happen. You go, oh, and it's going to be a vendetta. Like, not even that. Like, they're like, wait, they're going back. Let's go get up. Now, why are you using like, her name? Like, what do you know her from, Kelly Wan? She's not really the girl from Transformers, is she? Yeah. Yeah, the third one. Oh, she is. She's from oh, the dark yeah. side. Oh, oh, that Transformers. Oh, the, the the crappy Transformers. I thought you meant the last one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, the third one. Okay. Um. And, uh, uh. And 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 it's so let let's talk about ways in which it it is consistent with and inconsistent with, or at least breaks tradition from the other movies. So, Dingus, you you saw uh, Beyond Thunderdome recently. Uh, I know we've given you a lot of grief for not seeing Road Warrior until you finally watched it. Um, how did you feel about how this movie fit in or didn't fit in with those? And how did you feel about Tom Hardy as Max instead of Mel Gibson? Um, I I think that as much as I love Tom Hardy, and I, um, one of the things, I, and I, I think that Kelly's Bane jokes are funny because I think that is kind of what's going on at the beginning of this movie. I think he is kind of a bystander, and I don't think that he's... As much as I love watching him and I love him in this, it doesn't really matter uh, because I think that the important the important action pieces of this movie aren't what Mad Max is doing. In fact, his main heroic moment is to be a nurse. I mean, not not a nurse, a, a healer essentially, yeah. or a nurturer. Yeah. I mean, he he. It, it's this great inversion where the 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 male action star does not save the heroine by doing this amazing fight, though he does plenty of fighting, but he saves her by healing her. And and I love that fact about this movie and the fact that there are so many great little touches where, like that moment where he hands her the sniper rifle over his shoulder without oh looking at her. Uh. That, that's one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, mo- moments of the year, where where he's shot, he's shot, she puts his, her hand on his shoulder, she doesn't demand, she doesn't say anything, and then he goes, he just hands it back to her. Yeah, he realizes that he's not that it's better let her do it. It's the last yeah. bullet, and and he's yeah. I, I love that he turns basically this clutch key moment over to her. He's fine with it. It's the impractical. And I think, size, but yeah, and I think that's kind of the microcosm of what this, what overall the movie is doing about male characters and female characters. It's, yeah. uh, it's we can afford to turn this movie over, and this this made me think of a couple things that you have said, Tom. One, and I. I kind of have to grudgingly admit this because um, I don't usually do this, but I, I read you, you wrote this mini review on the front page about the wild, about how whether it is or isn't a movie about chicks. Um, and it really made me consider what this movie really made me push myself to figure out is this movie about or not about women. Um, 
just because I wanted to be careful. But more to the point, it made me think about your objection to Edge of Tomorrow and how that disappointed you when Emily Blunt's character was relegated to being rescued by this doofus who eventually learns how to be a hero. Now, I love Edge of Tomorrow, but it really made me think about that moment where Tom Hardy hands over the, the sniper rifle is kind of George Miller going, yeah, let's hand it over to the women. They can handle it. And they fucking kick ass. And so whether or not it's Tom Hardy makes no difference to me as much as I love him. I mean, he, he carries a certain amount of weight, and that's great. But I can think of a couple of actors who could have done that just fine. It, it is uh, funny. Yeah, like in, in Road Warrior 2, the second one, it, it, it to me is kind of consistent with that. And Road Warrior is about these survivors at this at this gas refinery place and how they have to escape. Um, Max is ultimately a dupe, by the way, um, mm-hmm. in Road Warrior. Um and that kind of turns on its head this this idea of a, of a western where the the stranger comes from the wasteland or the, the frontier and he saves the people and then moves on. Um, they probably would have done. I mean, not so much in Roadwire, but they probably would have gotten by just fine without him there. There is this idea of here's this guy wandering through the wasteland and here's something that he saw that he beheld um, and he was a part of absolutely. But he didn't save them. Um, no, I think she uses him as just another tool, um, albeit a, a human tool. <laughs> right. Well, well, he participates, but he's not—he's yeah. uh, not the the lead action hero who's saving everyone. They all depend on him, and they're not clinging to his legs like in a James Bond movie or something. Right, 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 right. And I love that about it. And like Kelly once said, you know, he's tied up for the first forty minutes. Um, he's he's uh, he's totally a bystander. Uh, I really think it. Just takes a certain amount of confidence, uh, narrative confidence, mm-hmm. to just have your hero, just kind of one of the one of the components in this this sequence. Uh, I love that about it, especially since the movie is named after him. To have him be the dude who's just standing, like right. and and doing whatever she plugs him into, and she's like, "I need you to do this." And he he basically says almost every time, other than when he tries to escape and gets defeated by the kill switch he basically says okay whatever you need me to do i'll do yeah 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 um and george miller did all that with warner brothers suits breathing down his neck too like he still kept the first 40 minutes his hero kind of locked up i would love to hear i mean i really am looking forward to production notes well in commentary tracks and what yeah you know what were the issues with testing um did warner brothers have the issues with this and and the shoot i mean yeah uh uh, so I, I, as a uh, Kelly Wanda, be curious to know how you feel about this. As a Mad Max aficionado, you know the Road Warrior was. Um, I would pro- I would say actually second to Jaws was was one of the most formative movies of of my childhood. Wow! As far as just meaning a lot to me and really informing like what I liked. Um, you know, I, I remember. Uh, well, yeah, they, they just, I, Road Warrior just meant a lot to me as as a kid. Um, so the character of Max. Um, I, I so Mel Gibson is of course Max for so many of us, um, and Mel Gibson's Max was very uh, kind of impassive. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his performance was just—he was very much a guy who was dead inside. Uh, and this is mainly Road Warrior, a little bit of a Thunderdome. The first Mad Max is kind of weird in a way, but but uh, that Max was uh, was just just very sort of flat and deadpan. Um, you know, the classic example is. When he goes to uh, the cab of the truck in the beginning of Road Warrior and opens it up and a dead body falls out and it's a great big jump scare 
you know, the Brian May soundtrack blares really loud, uh, and he doesn't care. You know, he just doesn't even react to this dead body and this shocking corpse, fall, radiated corpse falling out of a truck uh, or decomposed or whatever the problem is with it. Um, this Max, in comparison, uh, is just kind of gruff and even a little bit uh, too lovable. Like, uh, <laughs> he, he's kind of, you know, the moment when the, the pregnant woman, uh, it looks like she maybe got torn off the side of the truck when it hits a rock. And she peeks out from behind a place where she hid, and he gives her the thumbs up. Like yeah. he, he's kind of got this kind of gruff, lovable charm to him, which uh, seems to me to break tradition with the Mel Gibson Max. Like I can't imagine that Max ever giving that thumbs up sign. Um, he also doesn't seem that crazy the way Mel, Mel Gibson kind of looked. He was good at playing nuts, kind of. Like exactly. Like, like, he definitely channeled his uh, Murtaugh or Riggs or whichever one he was in, in Lethal Weapon. He definitely has that sort of nuts to him, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and this Max, though, I think the crazy that they want us to see here is that he is literally haunted. You know, the Mel Gibson Max is, of course, haunted in that, that brooding noble suffering kind of way that you do with good looking actors like you know just have him sit there and brood and there's backstory about a dead wife there now he's haunted yeah. um but this match is literally haunted by these kind of quick cut horror movie sequences isn't he um and and it isn't yeah. so much like crazy he's not like you don't get the sense that he is going to do that mel gibson nuts kind of thing well and there's never like a payoff of any kind to like oh and that's what this is from like, this is the kid. Like, we don't actually know. Like, if this is your first Mad Max movie, those flashbacks are sort of self-contained, I guess. I mean, you, you get the point. Start. Right. You get the point. But, um, yeah. But there's not a scene where he tells Charlize, yeah, this is really, I lost somebody. Right, exactly. And that's what you would normally do with the brooding, right. good-looking actor who has the backstory about the dead wife. Um, yeah. And, and I, I'm okay with that difference. But it did strike me as a very different Max from, from the Mel Gibson one. Yeah, but that's how, I mean, James Bond was, like, each one has, like, a different take sure, on James sure. Bond. Yeah. I can like different ones for different reasons. The thing about Tom Hardy is, like, he's kind of a big dude, and it's like, you know how, like, I'm really into how people's body types affect how they fight? Like, Uma Thurman's super skinny, and it's like, Mel Gibson was a really small guy in Mad Max, so you could, it was sort of like, okay, he's taking on ten bikers with a shotgun. Like, it seemed more of, like, a lopsided battle. Mm-hmm. But Tom Hardy seems pretty badass. Like, is this is, this is supposed to be a prequel to Thunderdome, though, isn't it? Well, there is. Yeah, Tom Hardy. There's it's a lot like more. A dog. There's a lot more physicality to him, I and mean, as an actor, there's a, he he brings that definitely to a role, and you you can even see that here. Um, I didn't understand where in the timeline it was supposed to fit because he points to the V8 interceptor a couple of times. Says, that's that's right. my car. You know, we see him with the interceptor, but he loses the interceptor in Road Warrior. Yeah. So but he has the dog. I think it's just designed oh, yeah. to be a, a movie that's in the series. Yeah, I don't think I it's think designed right. to be to fall into sort of place in in like a Fast and Furious kind of way. I think it right. really is just this is a, this is in a series of movies, and you might have like as in comic books, you might have different branches, and this is just part of the world. This well, is I would say you, world. if you wanted to fit it in with the other three, I think you'd have to call it a reboot. Um, because if it's before, yeah, where's the dog? Um, I guess you could say it's. Well, yeah, I guess you're right, Kelly. One, you could say it's before Road Warrior. There's no references he makes to the other movies. 
So it is a reboot, is what I'm thinking. Well, it could, like, if you said this is one of the things that happens to him post-Mad Max, pre-Road Warrior. I remember in, like, Road Warrior, he, he and in Thunderdome, too, he has, like, the same injuries from the last movies. Like, it's actually, there's continuity involved. Like, George Miller, like, okay, this is where he got his leg run over, so that's why he limps and wears this thing on his leg. We still see that in this, by the way. He still does have so a that hap- on his leg. Yeah. So that happened after this happened after Road Warrior. So I guess he got the uh, interceptor back. No, no, no. It happened before because he had the brace on his leg in Road Warrior. He has the brace on his leg in the very beginning of Road Warrior because he gets his leg gets injured in the end of Mad Max. Right, but he doesn't have a brace on in this. Maybe he just he went to get a new interceptor. We just went back to the dealership and got a different one. Dingus, yes. oh my god, Dingus, it was the last of the V8 interceptors in Road Warrior. What's the matter with you? What was the last of? It was the last, but. Salesmen always tell you that. That's true. We've only got one of these in the show. You better get get yeah. You better go for this deal. It's the last of the V8 interceptors. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm totally okay with that. Like I'm totally okay with it. You know, not fitting clearly into a timeline. I'm totally fine with Tom Hardy's Max versus yeah. Gibson's. Um, I, I actually really liked. Um, it, it, I found that that moment where he gives that thumbs up to her so unsettling. Because of what happens directly after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the well, yeah. thing that the, the thing that I think that is brilliant about this, and and you you asked very early on what I what I was like owing about very early, um, was was how this movie was going to balance its its horrific qualities with its silly qualities, like stepping on the lizard and shoving in its mouth, and then. Uh, then the weird tattoo stuff that's going on and then the brand that's about to happen. And and the real uh-oh moment for me is when he runs away from them. Uh, George Miller or the editors do this weird uh, 28 weeks later-esque kind of speeded up running thing that, where the where the film has that that, that quality where like the infected when they run in 28 weeks later they seem to have, be hyper fast right. and there's this hyper fast chase through the tunnels of this cavern uh, where they're jumping over beds and running through water and it's it's done almost in this weird sort of slapsticky quality and I, I was kind of like uh oh you're not handling this if you watch 28 weeks later and you think this is giving us some sort of fear factor it's not working for me it just looks silly to me um, but I think that this movie does that really walks the line between moments of of levity and moments of gravity. Like when he gives that thumbs up, I laughed, and then immediately we have this horrible moment that happens, and I'm crestfallen. Yeah. Um, but and, but this is their world. It's a, it's it's a world full of that sort of absurdity and tragedy, and I think he really balances it properly here. And in a way, and and I, I'm sorry to say this because, you know, I came to watching The Robe Warrior very late in life, obviously, since I only watched it within the last year. Um, and I really liked it. Um, but I, I kind of like this movie better because of that balance and because of the different actors and production design that I think is so comprehensively brilliant. Um, maybe because there's more money or maybe because of the people designing it. Uh, I don't. I, I. I. I'm just nuts about the way this movie is overall put together. Um, so I, I kind of. I have to say, I kind of like it more than the Road Warrior. I know uh, that might be a terrible thing to say to you, Tom. No, I agree with you. Well, you've <laughs> already. You've taken my under. Yeah. So here we go. Oh, sorry about that. I apologize. No, no, fine. All right. Uh, the the cinematographer is a guy named John Seal who shot English Patient. You can kind of see uh, how well he knows his way around the desert. Uh, from English Patient. Uh, 
he has said that um, one of the things that he really respects with what George Miller wanted is how often he would undercrank or overcrank a sequence. Um, he was constantly playing with the number of frames per second they use. Um, and there's a lot of like, you know, stuff with slow mo where uh, where the action will slow down. Uh, and I think actually now that you you make me think of that, I think the point of John Seale's quote was that George Miller wanted to make sure you always knew what was happening. And if something was going by too quickly, um, and there are a lot of edits here, but it's not edits to mask stuff. Uh, but if something was going by too quickly, he would slow it down so you could see what was happening to whom and how and from what angle. Uh, as far as action sequences go, you know, it's all on the surface of a kind of a clarity, uh, the way it is edited and shot. Um, because, I mean, he's got so much – the choreography in this is, is just so amazing. And, so and elegant. It's so elegant, and they, they just want to make sure you don't miss any of it. Uh, yeah, as opposed to Avengers Age of Ultron, where I can't tell you anything that happens. Well, so many time. bad action movies mm-hmm. where they just cover the choreography, or they don't even bother with choreography. They just quick edit stuff together. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just a, a trademark of, of crappy action movies. I saw this by 3D in accident. Wait, by accident. I knew you. I knew you had based on something you said during your opsis about things flying at you. Oh my god, it's so good! Like I could follow the action perfectly, like even in 3D, because usually you just go, "All right, something's happening that's that's bright and glittering." Got it. But like for the whole movie, I was like, I had a very there's just a sense of spatial awareness that I haven't seen like in any other action movie, maybe ever. Uh, one of the things I actually want to ask you guys about about the character, about Max, uh, a key moment in Road Warrior, um, I guess maybe in all of the movie, in both of the other Road Warrior movies, uh, although I don't remember in Thunderdome, uh, but at what point does Max become uh, selfless? Like what motivates him to not just move on um, and, and continue wandering the wasteland? Uh, and, and what do you guys think about uh, and when does that happen in this movie? Uh, it happens gradually in this movie. Um, I think the big scene is where he has to negotiate with them to get the chains off and the bolt cutters. And then they have like him and Nicholas Holt to evaluate against each other and go, all right, well, he won't rape us. And then it just kind of goes from there. Well, he runs he, away and he tries to drive away and then he does that. Right. Oh, like, we'll just wait. He tries to do that negotiation thing and then she just tells him that's not going to work and why it's not going to work. And I think that largely he's doing things that are going to keep him surviving. I mean, what he says early on is that I'm, I'm the one man who's running from those who are living and those who are dead. And, and I'm motivated by survival. That's it. And so whatever he can do to survive is, is the thing that he is going to do. But I think that when he's sitting there on that motorcycle, they've given him, that these women have gifted him with and said, all right, we're going to give you a motorcycle fully loaded. You can come with us or not. And we're taking off. I think at at that moment, he kind of realizes um, they're not going to make it. I have a better idea. And he has that weird sort of flashback moment with his daughter. And it's markedly, that's a girl. It's a daughter. Um, And, and I think that that's the moment. I mean, I think it's yeah. a, I think it's a stark moment. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it is. You know, this is the point where he would just go on, and you know, he's got everything he needs, and he could just leave. Why does he turn around at that point and and basically save them when he didn't have to? You know, everything else, as Kelly Wan mentioned before, he's forced to because of the kill switches, or because of the chain, or or whatever. 
or because they're all on the run together. But at that moment, why doesn't he just leave? Um, and I think you're right, Dingus. I mean, I think there is um, this, and, and they even, and I'm sure this made Kelly Wan's skin crawl, but both uh, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, they make it clear. Here's an example, by the way, where they're going to declare their character motivation. They both make it clear they're they're looking for redemption. Right. I thought they were talking directly <laughs> to him when they said that. To, to Kelly Wand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is like, yeah. This is, this is for you, Kelly Wand, because Kelly Wand hates redemption in movies. Uh, <laughs> well, she doesn't need to be redeemed. She, that's what she says she's looking for. I mean, and, and uh, so to see, that's there's a little conversation about character motivation, right? Well, there. but he always does that. In Road Warrior, he he hangs out. He likes the kid. Um, in Thunderdome, he goes back for those kids. Like he's always he always turns the corner. Right. And that's this was I, the most interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's usually sudden and like okay, well now it's the midpoint of the movie. But in this, it really seemed like every scene was shaping it. Uh, how long was it before you guys realized that was Nicholas Holt? Oh, it was almost immediate for me. I'm like, yeah. is that Nicholas Holt? I, I had no idea. <laughs> I, and I, even, I even knew he was in this and uh, forgot to oh. look for him. But it wasn't until, I guess, I guess it might have even been after the fight at the truck, like with the chain and stuff. Like, I, It's just under all that makeup and stuff. And I guess before he started talking normally. Yeah, I had no idea that was Nicholas Holt for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, I've seen X-Men First Class so many times because uh, of my kid and because I love it that I noticed him and, and um, uh, Zoe uh, Kravitz, Kravitz Im- right. uh, immediately. Yeah, right. I couldn't help it. How do you know who Zoe Kravitz? Oh, because oh, she's Wasp Woman or whatever. Yeah, she's Wasp Woman. Right. Oh, the evil one. Uh, can I ask you guys a little bit about what you think about the production design of the vehicles? Amazing. I was a so, little dubious at first. I, I didn't know. Yeah, what's the matter with you, Dingus? I, I didn't know quite what to think. I mean, there was there's these weird cars that, that that one of them looks like three cars stacked on top of other cars, and one of them has bubble tires, and at the and they look like some of them look like animals. And at first, I was just thinking this is just production design for production design's sake. And then they make all of them, almost all of them, have some sort of utility um, that I really loved. Um, yeah. And well, so, go ahead, Tom. Well, it's it's so part of, I mean, it's part and parcel with with what we get in Road Warrior, which is here are cars. So first of all, I love that this is still a world that was apparently, unless I'm mistaken, this is still a world that ended in the '80s. Like there are no modern cars, right? <laughs> like all of these cars right. are still are, are still obviously things that were from the '80s or earlier. I didn't even notice that. That's great. Yeah, because you know that's when the apocalypse or whatever here they talk about the earth being poisoned i think in road warrior it's clearly some sort of nuclear holocaust um although i think they hinted that here as well but for whatever reason the world ended it still ended in the 80s they're not changing that um and so the idea is you've got these cars that are repurposed for you know for for surviving against raiders um yeah and yeah, and they call that big truck the war machine, you know, and, and that's apparently a kind of truck. You know, they have war machines. You know, there's a war machine driver. Um, and whatever an Imperator is, I presume it's basically somebody who drives a war machine. I don't I don't really know what that title confers. Um, but yeah, I, I just – I loved how these were still cars from the 80s. Uh, I loved how absolutely outrageous some of it was. Um, and, and, and yeah, absolutely some of it absolutely is, is impractical, but – these are such beautiful bits of of artwork. I think um, mm-hmm. 
that I, I was, it was just stunning. Um, and 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 how some of them were like whatever the, that porcupine faction was. God, I loved all those weird little cars. Um, you know the the weird motorcycles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the and 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 of course the the main war machine. Uh, that thing was beautiful with the two engines with that weird little pod on the back. You know the fuel pod. Uh, with the pieces of a car on top of it as these kind of like defensive positions. Uh, the little cattle uh, scooper on the front, which is used to put out a fire. I don't know if that's yeah. what it's there for. Uh, but yeah, God, I loved all these cars. Um, yeah, I assumed that was what it was for, but now you're making me think maybe it wasn't, and she was just being ingenious and going, oh, this thing that we use to clear rocks, we can use to put out the fire. Right, right, yeah. Uh, by the way, you know, that that the sand flying up over the hood, she made uh, or George Miller made sand look beautiful. I mean, it looked gorgeous. Yeah. That that was amazing. Yeah. Trump David Lean. For for me, what what the design eventually reminded me of um, was this game Tom got me to play called Brutal Legend. Um, it reminded <laughs> sure. me of all this construction that yeah. you. All these different parts, body parts, car body parts, that you, you would put these cars together. And furthermore, every one of those things in uh, – I, I keep thinking of it as Papa, but I forget his other name. Um, and Martin Joe? And Martin Joe, thank you. Right. Um, that he puts together are all units in this sort of RTS battle that yeah. each one of them has a different – purpose and even that one with the bu- bubble tires where at first i was thinking that's not practical that those tires are going to pop in a minute but then once that that cavern once the, the they drop the rocks mm-hmm. that bubble tire vehicle goes up over and and over through and, and it's absolutely needed um well and the every bullet one farmers, of those vehicles the bullet farmers tread the bullet farmers tread vehicle you oh, know, yeah, which yeah. they need to get through the mud yeah yeah right, right. Uh, so 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 he's he's amassed this army and calls other armies together, and all of the all these units have a purpose, and and that and that's that's an element of the design that I grew to absolutely love. And the moment I grew to love it is that thing that Tom's talking about, that the porcupine slash hedgehog, whatever those things are, those vehicles, when they came running down the hills, I just fell in love with the production design of this movie, yeah. and then it kind of opened my eyes to what he was doing with all of those other vehicles, and and how. The, the designer, and, and I think this is, I think, largely due to Brendan McCarthy's contribution, because I think he's, mainly his background is as, as an illustrator, um, and he came with a lot of these ideas for what these vehicles would do, but they're practical, and I like that they're not just designed as as pretty or, or cute, or, or not cute, cute's the wrong word, or just uh, massive, you know, and enormous things with enormous engines, but they all have a purpose, and I love that about the design of this movie. Well, certainly that that uh, guitar player with the flamethrowers and then the drummers <laughs> on the back—that's right out of Brutal Legend. I mean, that, yeah. that totally made me think of just the ridiculousness of Brutal Legend, and uh, yeah, and the, the fact that the guys on these bungee cords—why uh, uh, put him on bungee? You know what? Why not? Just yeah. <laughs> it lets him jump around and dance like a guitar player needs to do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Don't yeah. question, Tom. Right. These are characters who know they live in the Road Warrior universe. Very much so. A lot of bungee and a lot of chrome. Yeah. Uh, I uh, so, and and by the way, just as far as visuals, you know, you mentioned that uh, uh, Brandon McCarthy is that the name, Dingus? Yeah, Brandon McCarthy. Yeah, so he's kind of a, a, a I guess you would call him a, a cult figure in uh, in in comics. He's a British oh. guy, um, but uh, 
some of the and so he storyboarded. Uh, I think I think he was his like draft of the script is one of the very early versions of it. Um, and I presume uh, George Miller probably worked with him a lot because a lot of this was storyboarded early on. Um, and and that shows so clearly in just some of the shots. Like, and and you see these in the trailer, I'm sure. But you know, there's a shot when uh, when Max is on one of those those Cirque du Soleil poles, just sweeping from left to right. As there's an explosion in the background, I mean, it, it's, it's just like a beautiful mm. image right there. Um, the symphony of carnage. And so many. I mean, that's another thing. Like, how many ways can you make it look interesting? To have that shot from in front of the vehicles when one vehicle is turning over, you know, is blowing up. So, you know, they set off an explosion underneath it, so it blows it, so it it flips over. Um, we see that so many times, but but every single time is is just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much attention to, to visual detail here. Uh, and I think know, I, part I, of that is character, too. I mean, I think that you also get a sense of the characters that are dying be, either because they're going to Valhalla or they're doing it on purpose or it's that human-eater dude. I mean... Well, yeah, yeah. The, and and, and you, you're seeing so many bodies flying through the air as well. I mean, it, it, that, by the way, it's one thing they couldn't show you in Road Warrior. But now that we have CG... And of course, by the way, a lot of this is practical, and that, that that clearly shows there is some CG. And I imagine like a lot of the bodies flying through the air. Certainly, that storm was CG, and I was fine with that. Um, but but so much of the stuff is practical. Uh, and and yeah, this character, you know, you see uh, like like they're like um, uh, Nux. So uh, Nicholas Holt's character is named Nux or Wux Nux, right? Nux, you're right. Uh, and then there's his his friend. Uh, there's the guy that you find out who has like the the, the tear up the side of his face, which is bolted shut. Um, there's a Morden Joe's, the big guy with the, the minigun who you find out is his son. Um, there are like these relationships that kind of emerge. There's there's the bullet farmer. Uh, there's the main guy from Gastown. Um, and that's one of the things, by the way, that Road Warrior did brilliantly, is you only got a handful of characters, but like you knew Humunculus, you knew Toady, you knew Wes, of course, uh, Wes had his weird Rod Stewart-looking boyfriend on the back of his motorcycle. Um, like, it takes time to introduce you to some of these people who are going to get thrown under tires or just blown up. Uh, and, and I love that about it, that, hey, let's, you know, let's let you meet some of these people. And I didn't know, I don't know if they say these and I just missed it, but it's a real treat sitting through the credits and, and, and seeing some of those names. Yeah. Like, uh, like, I didn't know any of the women's names, by the way. Uh, and they all had these kind of weird, beautiful names. If I'm, I don't remember any of them now, but I remember seeing in the credits, oh, that's what her name was? Uh, yeah, the character yeah. names in this are amazing. It's it's this weird... Uh, I mean, are you talking about character names or actor names? Character names, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like this weird other language, and he does that a lot throughout the movie, this 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 use of different vernacular, like the, the witness yelling, uh, or any even the use of Valhalla. There's, there's, like, there's a few moments where they use different language but you're right tom the the way like one of them is like named cheeto i mean the 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 way the the women's names are everybody's names in this are fascinating and i just cannot imagine the bowl sessions where they're sitting around thinking of these names right right uh one of my favorite shots, years by the way was uh and, and it was such a quick throwaway shot but and you don't i don't think you know the implications of it until later there's this beautiful shot of the muddy area when they drive mm. past people on stilts picking through the mud 
and there's dead trees and there's crows everywhere. Uh, and it's just a really quick shot as they're transitioning out of that area. Uh, and to then later learn that was the green place. Um, yeah, that was so amazing. I didn't know if those were some sort of amalgam creatures, like from the island of Dr. Moreau, or, or if they were people I think they were just scavengers. Just, yeah, they were just people on stilts. Because I don't, I don't think in this world there's, like, monsters. I mean, it's clear there's no, yeah. like, crazy mutant monsters or anything. Right. Yeah, those are just people on stilts, I guess, scavenging in the mud. Um, and, you know, that's that's how they get through the mud, is they're on these, these big, tall stilts, and it makes them look like weird creatures. Uh, that's how I picture Australia. Is there mud in Australia? I don't think they actually have mud. I think that was a lot of creative license that uh, that George Miller took. Uh, How about so, the way George Miller introduces the women, the the brides, mm-hmm. where they're doing that awesome. sort of car wash moment? Yeah, spraying like, each other. Uh, he comes across them in the in the desert with the hose. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if Michael Bay had shot that, for instance. Right, right. Uh, I think that's designed to make us think of him, or think of Fast and Furious movies, where where there there are these women who become part of that culture, and then and and we are are sold that culture, or we are we're part of that. Well, I don't know if you would call it uh, objectifying or fetishism or whatever. Um, but when he rounds the back of that truck, and they're all spraying each other with a hose. I couldn't help it that my mind went to Fast and Furious movies where girls are dancing on the race. And then immediately I realized, no, he just he just totally messed with you. And he totally got your mind to trigger where it should trigger, and now you feel guilty about it. So, haha. No, I, I think something different. So here's what I think is going on there, Dingus. Uh, and I get what you're saying, absolutely. And it is uh, – you know, if this had been something that Justin Lin or Michael Bay had shot, I think it would it, it might very well fit in that kind of thing. But here's what I think is going on, and this might be a stretch. Um, there's a point where, uh, and I think he's the mayor of Gastown character, um, where he says something like, uh, "All this for a family squabble," uh, <laughs> about a Morton Joe chasing this guy down, and the guy's like, "All this for a family squabble." Um, and the moment he said that, it made me realize. You know what this is like? This is like the Trojan War um, in that you know, we, we had a story here about stolen wives. Um, this is this powerful clan, this warlord guy. His wives have been stolen from him, and he's basically launching a war. You know, This is a war party to recover these stolen wives. And there's something uh, very mythological about that. Mm. Um just like the Iliad, you know, this is a, this is this crazy story about, uh, you know, the Iliad, by the way, is one long action sequence. Um, you know, it's, it's just it's just a, a, a sequence of battles, basically. The Iliad is, is a version of an action movie from ancient Greece. Um, so I, I think that these stolen wives, you know, the treasure here is fertility. You know, whether it's the right. wives or the seeds that the old women are preserving from the green place. Um, and when when Max comes across these women bathing, it makes me think of, of stories in mythology where the hero finds these sirens or nymphs, you know, bathing in a watery. Oh, like, oh, brother, where art thou that moment? Exactly, Dingus, which, by the way, is a retelling of the Iliad. Oh, brother, where art thou is, is the Coen brothers have said. It's, it's And it even says, I think, in a title card based on the Iliad by Homer. Um so I think rather than a nod to those car wash scenes, I think it's a nod to the hero coming across uh, some sort of symbol of uh, a fertility goddess bathing in a spring, almost. I, mean, uh, I really like that. I think the only thing I would disagree with 
uh, as opposed to the Iliad or the Odyssey uh, uh, storytelling, is that those seem to be about love, and this seems to be about recovering property. I mean, uh, and Morton Joe says, "That's my property. I want it back." Right. And and when uh, when we go to war in the Trojan Wars, it's because of Helen and love. Well, all of that, yeah, it sort of depends on who's telling it. Like if if you're yeah, if, if you're, if you're yeah. hearing about it from the perspective of Menelaus, it would pro- he would probably be about love. But from the perspective of Paris, Helen is just yeah. Menelaus's property. But yeah, yeah. you're right, Dingus. Um, uh, but I like so your th- take on that, and I didn't even think about uh, about making it a mythological story. It's like a, like a one day Odyssey. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I love but, too that that by the way we. We we eventually, but you know, all the women in this aren't just super hot chicks or a badass chick who, you know, Charlize Theron could be an action hero. Uh, I love that we have this clan of the older women too. You know, these and those, those women were amazing. Their faces uh, and that they participated in the fighting. Um, I just loved that it did that for for them. Uh, that, that, how amazing that each one of them is an individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right, right. Uh, you know, you have the, the the woman with the seeds, and then the woman who uh, who was was the the trap bait. Um, you have the the one who I don't think she was the same as the woman with the seeds. Uh, the one who was kind of uh, took one of the other girls under her wing. Uh, yeah, I, I love that we met them, and I love that there were so many women in this movie too. By the way, oh, it's yeah. just beautiful. Uh, How bold to make the actions the main the, the climactic action sequence not only uh, center around women but old women. Yeah, I mean yeah. that is so mm-hmm. rare in any movie mainstream movie that comes out that we have uh, people over die. the age of twenty <laughs> getting to be action stars and women getting to be the centerpiece of the action. That is so fucking awesome. It really so was bold. It was a great sort of variation on biker chicks, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Holy cats, I didn't think of that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I'm proving on Thunderdome and Road there. Man. Or, what, what was that, Kelly One? Well, just like in Road Warrior and Thunderdome, especially Thunderdome, when he, when, he hooks, when he hooks up with the kids, and you're like, oh, this is the shark jump. Like, oh, no, it's fucking kids in the movie. And so it kind of turns into Hook from then on. So in this, you like he rounds the corner, and it's like, oh, it's nubile women. Okay, well, I can live with this. But then it keeps it, it deepens even more, and it's like old women, and like each one has their own little. Well, and to be fair, all along, like I think I think her credit is Warrior Woman. Like there's this super badass chick in, in Road Warrior, uh, and I, I can see her just face. I think she's got like a cool bandana on, and she looks like someone from Xena Warrior Princess. Um, and there's of course in the, the little silly girl. The bad in, no, in Road Warrior, one, no, one of the good guys. I don't. There's this. I don't think there are any women in Humongous's camp. Um, there's a, uh, a friend of mine was. To, I was talking to him this week about Road Warrior, and he was discovered to. He was surprised to discover this, but there, there's a lot of weird sort of homoerotic subtext to what's going on with Humongous's camp and Road Warrior, uh, and I don't think there's any women in there. Um, well, Rod Stewart. Exactly right. Yeah, that, that's what they've got uh, there. Uh, so. One of the things I do want to bring up, uh, I don't think I've said this on this podcast in a while, but uh, a good car chase. There are three things that a good car chase requires, and if, if you think of uh, Fury Road as an extended car chase, I'm just delighted with how it has all three of those things. Um, the three C's required for a good car chase are choreography. You know, the cars have to do interesting things. 
Um, a classic example, uh, I, I think so many people bring up Bullet as a classic car chase. And I, I think the car chase in Bullet sucks, by the way. Uh, the mm-hmm. choreography in Bullet, cars just go super fast. And they, you know, they put cameras on the corner and they show the cars roaring by, whatever. Uh, if you want to see cars just driving fast, Bullet is fine for that. But really good choreography. One of my favorite car chases would be Born Supremacy. Uh, the, the stuff that the cars do in Born, Su- Born Supremacy is fantastic. Um, they have great uh, choreography in, in Born Supremacy. Uh, uh, um, French Connection, by the way, a lot of great choreography with what the cars doing underneath the L train. Um, and here, of course, the choreography obviously beyond reproach. Uh, another thing a good car chase requires uh, is character. And Dingus, you alluded to this before. You have to know who the characters are, and you have to care about them in a car chase. Um, again, Born Supremacy. You've, you've had uh, Jason Bourne developed through, through both of the movies so far. Uh, you know who Carl Urban's character is. Uh, and the same here. Like It's so generous with all the different characters in Fury Road. Uh, plenty of character here. And then finally, a good car chase requires context. Why is someone chasing someone else? You know, where are they trying to go? How does it fit into the plot of the movie or the motivation? Uh, I haven't seen Bullet in a while, but don't think I could tell you what anybody was chasing anybody Why for. Why they're chasing. Yeah. Uh, French Connection, Popeye Doyle has just seen a woman, a mother, pushing a baby carriage, uh, has been hit by an errant sniper bullet, and he's chasing the sniper. You know, he wants to catch this guy. Um, Born Supremacy, Jason Bourne is trying to get to the daughter of a man he assassinated to apologize. He's just trying to reach her. That's his, that's his context in, in Born Supremacy. Uh, so on all three of those counts, you know, choreography, character, and context, the, the car just, the car chaseness of Mad Max Fury Road, uh, is, is just so fantastic. Um, is the, way, the fourth C Cannonball? No, Cannonball Run is not a great car chase. It does not qualify for choreography, character, or context. I'm sorry, Kelly. No, they're they're running from the mob, and there's a race. Right, go on. Burt Reynolds is a character. Okay, yes, he is, right. Tony Danza and his monkey. Take it. Take all of it, because they're the best characters. (laughs) I think if if there's a monkey in a car chase, it is automatically disqualified from being a good car chase. I'm sorry, Kelly. He won. Monkey won. He's rich. Uh, what do you guys think of the music, by the way? So, Road Warrior is famous for the Brian May soundtrack. Um, what did you guys feel about this soundtrack? Kelly? It seemed like the same one. Are you kidding? Wasn't it? I can't remember the Road Warrior one now. It's been forever. The Road Warrior one uh, has this ridiculous, almost ridiculous, orchestral blare. Uh, and it's got this sort of bump, 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 bump thing. And it always made me yeah, think of, yeah. of a... It made me think of a circus gone wrong, <laughs> like something like you're watching a circus and something has gone terribly wrong. But for whatever reason, the band keeps playing. Uh, that's kind of what the Road Warrior soundtrack reminded me of. Um, but this was someone who uh, this, this I think this music is singular. I really do. Uh, well, we've heard we've heard this guy before. But go ahead, Tom. Yeah. So it's a guy named Junkie XL. I guess his, his stage name. His name is Tom Holkenberg. Yeah. Uh, he did the music for uh, one of my favorite soundtracks in, in recent times, uh, a movie called 300 Rise of an Empire. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And there are actually bits here, especially during the like credits, that almost felt like he was doing a uh, – thing. is, aren't there some composers who are kind of known for just kind of repurposing their own riffs? 
Yeah. John Williams. Yeah, that's Did John Williams do that. Oh. Want to come to, come to okay. mind, yeah. Well, there are definitely bits here that feel repurposed from 300 Rise of an Empire, but for the most part, the main theme did feel singular to me, and I, I loved what he did with it. I, I really like the music in this a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you go to YouTube, um, you can, uh, if you just type into YouTube Fury Road OST for original soundtrack, somebody's actually uploaded the whole thing, which I've just been like playing and listening to. Uh, but I've loved the music in this. Um, yeah, I was really excited to see Chunky XL's name because uh, I didn't realize that that's who did it until we got to the end of the movie. Because yeah. um, I remember remember us talking about that artist. I, I, I forget what you said his actual name is. Uh, Tom Holkenberg. So he's a Dutch fellow, and he, he's done video games. He does he's done some commercials. He's done movies. Uh, he does he's like part of you know he does like I guess you'd call it like dance music or whatever. Uh, He's a very prolific fellow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Over under thing is you already outed my under, which is. Uh, I, I apologize. I, if I no no, I mean it's part of the conversation. If I were to bracket this, uh, as far as I don't, I don't know what you would call this. Um, I got for as far as my my uh, just like Road Warrior type action movies or whatever. Uh, Road Warrior, which I still think is brilliant, and certainly as I mentioned, a former part of my childhood. This is this is better than Road Warrior. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll say oh, I'm over. Surprised? I thought I thought I was going to be offending you by saying that. That's oh. my other two, actually. So I didn't realize that when when you were when you when you talked about Road Warrior in in the same breath as Jaws, I was kind of taken aback because I didn't realize you felt that way about it. Well, Road Warrior. I mean, this tops Road Warrior in so many ways, including just the scale of the action, yeah. uh, the, the audacity of it, the weirdness of it. Um, yeah. So I, that, so it's certainly my own. There's passion. Yeah, and Kelly Wan, you said that's your under as well. Yeah, All right. I thought I was going to be the only one. I thought I was doing something cutting edge. Uh, and well, you know, let me go ahead with my over. Um, I don't think I have one. I don't either. Because uh, <laughs> like like Road Warrior, uh, Die Hard, and Aliens in their time, I, I feel those movies really set the standard for action movies. Um, and I, I feel like that's what we've just seen with Fury Road. This, to me, sets the standard for what you can expect from an action movie. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm still enjoying this just incredibly heady buzz from yeah, having seen well. it. So maybe that's part of it. But I, I just can't pick an uh, uh, something an over. Um, Name a better action movie. Die Hard One. Die Hard's got a bunch of dumb shit in it too, though. I, I mean, it, if I was to like arbitrarily set some criteria i'm sure i could come up with something but when i just think of like action movies and and, and basically movies that do the, the you know that are based on car chases or I, there's i just don't have an over for this so kelly Wan, you what also the best don't, you yeah, don't have an over and your under is road wire so kelly Wan stole my answers uh so dingus what do you have for your over under then all right, for my under, I, I went a kind of a different way. I didn't mm-hmm. try to assail this as far as action is concerned because I didn't think I could. So I just went with post-apocalyptic movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for the under, and this is a movie I really love, so it's a really, really close bracketing. And this would be I Am Legend. Um, and the reason oh. I would choose it is because uh, there are parts of I Am Legend that really um, – that I think are really – ridiculous as far as the way um especially the 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 zombies or whatever you want to call that are animated like the lead zombie is of course patterned after an an actor that at least tom and i really like named dash mihawk and 
but but the way their mouths just sort of stretch in this weird, unrealistic way, and and the way the zombies attack, climbing up the buildings. There's nothing in in Fury Road that that is as as Tom said. There's no monsters that are in this. So that thing I was worried about with the swamp walking is not a thing. I mean, this is. This is a realistic world as far as a post-apocalyptic world is concerned. Everything that we do, we are going to be able to build out of raw materials, and every human that exists is going to have to exist as a human. Um, there's no genetic splicing, there's no enhancement, it's just what it is. And so that the, the way I Am Legend actually develops, as much as I love the way that movie is put together, you would have to fall below this movie. Um, for, for the over, uh, and again, this is anti- what you guys are talking about as far as an action movie is concerned, this is just a weird post-apocalyptic movie, and it's much, much uh, more subdued than this, uh, even in reference to what the title is, and that would be The Quiet Earth. And that's just because uh, The Quiet Earth is this New Zealand movie that I absolutely love. Uh, has a, it's very near and dear to my heart, and I just I I love the character interaction, and it and it and again these are very very close because Fury Road is. Is fucking great. So I, I I I wanted to come up with an over, so I, I went with that one. Carrie Warren Dingus likes Quiet Earth better than Mad Max Fury Road. As an action movie? Just no, did you listen to a thing I said? <laughs> As a post apocalyptic movie. Jeez. I was I could maybe Dingus, I could maybe not ridicule you if you had picked the rover, but Quiet Earth, really? Yeah, that's right. I'm not gonna pick the rover because I don't want to talk about the rover yet. Hmm. Alright. What? Everyone, have you seen Quiet Earth? Uh it's got a good last shot. I, I would I would agree with that, Kelly Wand. I'll certainly go with you on that. Yeah. Um I, okay. you, I, I didn't ridicule you guys for, for just bailing on actually picking an over. You can though. We we would accept that. All we right, would accept well, that's your ridicule. What gonna do. I think okay. that's weak. And I Kelly picking your choices this week. So there you go. Yeah, Kelly Wan, that's what you get for stealing my choices. And Don't copy off my work. I have All right, show me where you have it written down, Kelly Wan. I think you copied my answers. You saw where I wrote them down because you're sitting in the desk behind me and you looked forward and copied my answers. Maybe I just forgot to write in an over. That wouldn't that yeah, that wouldn't be the first time. Kelly Wan, I am curious though, was there anything in Fury Road that you learned about relationships? Real skulls don't have that much water in them. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to la 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 Three best tutorials. Huh. And what inspired this? Uh, I can't remember. Nothing. Because you didn't like my other one. Uh, well, you can always... Pick, yeah, you, well, your other one I think we pretty much covered. Yeah, you, you introduced your other one with... Uh, uh, I don't remember, but have we done this one? Yeah. By the way, we have a we have a list and we've sent it to you many times where you can look and see what things we have and haven't done. So that's not an excuse, by the way. I like topics that are an excuse to to bring up Zach. Have, we know. No, no, to have oh. you describe MacGruber to Dingus. But I, the reason it's not to torture Dingus. That's just a side benefit. But right. like, I keep thinking this is going to be the time 
that he's the dingus is going to go wait that's pretty good actually no i like mcgruber like, i think we've brought, uh, we made a lot of progress on dingus with mcgruber i don't think so I mean, I think there's still work to be work. done you're right but we have made a lot of progress he gets upset when we even say the word mcgruber not anymore not mm-hmm. more i like i like will forte so much now See? um i've even started really i've watched i watch nebraska basically every day uh, he likes Kristen Wiig. I think he appreciates the comedic talents of Val Kilmer and Ryan Felipe. I never get tired of hearing in the butt in the butthole. Right in your in your butthole. He loves He's a- Powers Booth as a as a in, a in a military uniform. Who doesn't like that? Yeah, I, I love the whole parking joke. Like we're going to park down the street. See, meters. I love that. Yeah. So let's see. So Kelly, one, you want us to talk about uh, tutorials, and did you set any limits? You're saying yeah, I'm not even bother asking. You, you just said the word tutorials, and that was great. I, I love that you just bailed on that. That was yeah. awesome. All right, so I'm introducing next week's topic, which I actually already know what it is. I'm not going to make it up when I'm asked what it is. I, I have in mind a topic before we get there. But because I'm introducing next week's topic, I get to go first. Kelly, one, what do you think? My third favorite tutorial in a movie. Is Jonah Hill teaching James Franco about double negatives in a movie called True Story, which you haven't seen, so you wouldn't know the scene. Oh, that's, oh, that's my favorite great. Scene. That's a great choice. I love that part. Yeah, yeah, that would be my number three favorite tutorial. Uh, True Story. Um, Jonah Hill plays a journalist. James Franco's a guy in prison. They have an odd relationship. And James Franco at one point says, I want you to teach me how to write. Um, and so Jonah Hill goes over something that he's written. And he calls out one of his sentences for having a double negative. Um, and I forget, there's one other thing, Dingus. Wait. That's not a tutorial. Oh, oh, you're gonna play, you're gonna play three by three cop now, are you? And he's tutorial. a journalist. Just what? You, you didn't define tutorial, so we yeah. can look up the definition. and We'll be able to be fine. Yeah, Kelly Wan, there is no law. This is a lawless three by three. This is frontier justice on this three by three. Whatever we pick goes because you didn't set any parameters. A tutorial is basically one character teaching something to another character. Right. Unless you specified otherwise, that's what it's going to be. No, it's got to have steps and directions, like step one. Oh, or should... have lots of fun. Yeah, you should have I mentioned thought that. that was implied. It up. Well, does he say that in the double negatives one? Does he go step one, add maybe, a negative? Maybe, you know what, Kelly? I'm only to find out is to see the movie. Hmm. Maybe maybe you should try that sometime. <laughs> I'm a little Franco'd out right now. Dingus, what is your number three favorite tutorial in a movie? All right, my number three favorite tutorial in a movie is from a movie I've used many times before, or at least a couple. It's from a movie called House of Games. Uh, and you're on a House of Games tear, uh, Dingus. I really am. And it's early on in the movie where um, where the con men, uh, spurred on by by Joe Montaigne telling, um, I think it's Mike Nussbaum who plays Joe, um, they, they show after they've, They've almost fooled Lindsey Krause at the poker game. They all go out to this candy store and they're hanging out. And um, and the guy named Joe uh, shows her this uh, thing he calls the little larceny called the flu, where uh, you, you go into the candy store, you hand, you, you ask for a twenty dollar bill, you give the woman a bunch of ones because you have to send. It, there's this whole thing that goes on, but it's this thing where he hides where he's he's taken the twenty dollar bill and he hands it. A sealed envelope to the woman, um, and Lindsay Krause totally misses misses what's going on, and they they show her, yeah, you missed what's going on because I've still got the twenty dollar bill, and then uh, she goes, well, how did you do it? And you hear off 
off camera, you hear uh, Ricky Jay say those that that's the secrets of the pyramids. You do not get to know what that is. And Joe Mantegna, and this is, of course, part of the long con of, of House of Games, says, it's okay, Joe, show her. I think we are one. And then, and then Joe uh, says, okay, this is the, this is the flu revealed. And he does a step by step. This is what I did with the money. You gave me a $20 bill. I put it in the envelope. I, I took it in my mouth. I put it in my hand. I sealed the envelope and I handed you the envelope and you didn't see me palm the 20. And so basically it's a two, uh, it's a tutorial in this and he calls this a little page in the history of the short con. And a short con is, is kind of like that moment in, um, oh, what's the John Cusack, Angela, Angelica Houston movie? Uh, the grifters. grifters, yeah, grifters, where where he like hides a twenty dollar bill and the and then the bartender punches him in the stomach with his like billy club. And short con is I'm I'm just going to get a couple of bucks, but uh, I'm getting a couple of bucks all day long, and and eventually that will let me pay rent. Um, so th- this moment where Joe at at uh, at uh, Joe Mantegna's behest, Mike Mike is his character's name, says, "Go ahead, show her," and then he walks her through the steps of doing the flu. Carrie Warren, do you feel that uh, you need to three by three cop that one, or is that past muster? That's a good one. Okay, good. Dingus is Dingus is the best at three by threes, and I'm the worst. Dingus, how do you feel about uh, being called the best at three by threes by Kelly Wand? If he had done a certain number of steps that told me I was the best, then yeah. I would believe it. Kelly Wand, what's your third favorite uh, tutorial in a movie? A three by three is all steps if you think about it. But getting back to your question. My number three best tutorial in a motion picture is the holy hand grenade thing in Monty, Monty Grail. <laughs> Monty Grail. Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Why don't you yeah. do some lines from it for like us, Kelly Wand? I always love when people quote lines from Monty Python routines. <laughs> How could the swallow push the pudding in the pudding pot? That's, Look, from, I don't remember that's, that's from the holy hand grenade scene? Well, I got Bill Cosby mixed up with the French guy, but... In the whole hand grenade scene, like 90% of it's like how to count to three. He's like, okay, can't, it's not four, and it's not two. And then so it's a like, biblical tutorial, because what they're doing it's is a math Bible joke. verse. Right. But it's the Bible's all about numbers, too. And there's even a book of numbers. Hmm. All right, Kelly Wand, uh, Monty Python routine. Awesome. Great. Look, hey. Yes, Kelly that's my That's my week one of the three. Oh, good. Okay, they get better? It gets uh, yeah, probably Great. Gets, uh, <laughs> Uh, my oh, number two boss. favorite tutorial in a movie, second favorite tutorial in a movie, um, and I won't tell you about too much about it because I don't think either of you has seen Wild. Um, but in Wild, there's a great moment where Reese Witherspoon, uh, you know, she's going hiking in the movie. That's not a spoiler. Um, she comes to uh, – there are these way stations along the Pacific Crest Trail where hikers can stop and take a shower. They can pick up their mail, and one of the way stations she comes to – the kind of the, the guy who runs the way stations, played by Cliff DeYoung. Um, and after all of the sort of the loneliness and isolation of the first part of her hike, here she is sort of enjoying camaraderie again and, and talking to the other hikers. Uh, and there's a great scene where Cliff DeYoung goes through the stuff that she's carrying in her backpack, which is clearly a little bit too big for her. And one by one uh, sort of takes each item and says, do you know, do you really need this? Why do you have this here? Uh, and teaches her how to pack lightly on a hike, uh, which is a crucial skill. Um, so that's all I'll say about it, because you guys haven't seen it. You guys should see Wild. Uh, but I love that little moment between Reese Witherspoon and Cliff DeYoung. I really like that. Yeah. Kelly Wan, by the way, does that pass muster? Is that Does that count as a tutorial? 
Well, you keep picking movies I haven't seen. Ah, well, maybe that's the point. I've tricked you. I guess I haven't seen any movies. All right, so Dingus, tell us your second favorite tutorial <laughs> in a movie. All right, I'm going to give you a bit of dialogue from it. Oh. What's this? That's a grenade launcher. I don't think you want to mess with that. Oh, that was gonna, that's my no- – you know, I'm changing my number one pick. Fine, Dingus. I'm scratching it out and I'm picking something else. <laughs> and then she says, you started, you started this. Show me everything. I can handle myself. Close encounters. Uh, so this is, of course, aliens. Um, and uh, this is probably the first thing I – I keyed on while Kelly Warren was still saying the word tutorials was Ripley getting um, Michael Bean to show her how to use that gun uh, and and making him work through the whole thing, including the grenade launcher. It's uh, a meat shoot. And I love I love how he does do a step by step kind of thing and even shows her how to reload the clip. And then you smack that thing in. And then she asks, what is this about the gr- grenade? And. He says, uh, "Let's just have." And I, I kind of, I thought I remembered her saying something like, uh, "You know, take the training wheels off or something." But she doesn't say anything like that. This is my brain doing some weird extra dialogue. It's just, you know, tell, show me everything. You started this, and so yeah, I love that alien. Well, it, it becomes important because she has to use that at the end. I mean, oh she yeah, to, yeah. No. Carrie, one does that one? Is that okay with you? Because I know you're very yeah. particular about what what does and doesn't qualify as a tutorial. I meant to take it off the table. Well, you should have thought of that last week. Kelly One, what's your second favorite tutorial in a movie? So like this one apparently is better than, than you just quoting some Monty Python dialogue, right? Yeah, it's a Maybe. slow build. It's like Max standing instead of driving, and then the rest of the movie is exciting. Okay. So this is the excitement. This is a By the way, uh, there's a there's a company called The Asylum that does what are called uh, 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 mockbusters. Where, yeah, so they'll uh, when, when a big-profile movie is coming out, these yahoos will do um, – uh, a, a low, like basically no budget crappy movie that just cashes in on the publicity for the upcoming movie. Um, like when the, the Day the Earth Stood Still comes out, came out, they had a movie called something like The Day the Earth Stopped. Um, oh, <laughs> when Transformers were coming out, they, they made a, a, a movie called Transmorphers. Um, so they do crap like this, and the movies are just uniformly awful. I just, I love crappy movies, but there's something so mercenary and, and just, just, just cheap feeling and icky about asylum movies. Like I can't stand them, but I'll still try them. So they recently, their most recent movie is called Road War. Um, <laughs> and in Road War, you know, their, their budget allowed them to use a muscle car, so they have a muscle car. Uh, and to make it look Road Warrior-ish, there is a kind of a gun mounted on, uh, not the hood, on the, the roof of the car. Um, but this is a muscle car, so there's no like sunroof where you stand up and shoot the gun. So they uh, kind of glued a flat plate on the roof of the car, and there's a gun. However, this gun is like it – if you were to stand up behind this gun, you'd have to be bent over double because it only is, is up – like it's raised like about a foot or so on the car. So whenever somebody uses this gun – and it's actually a flamethrower – on the car, they have to sit on their knees <laughs> – which looks ridiculous, and they try to shoot around it so that you just see the, the person's torso and the gun. But, you know, anytime there's a long shot, you can see that person just sitting on their knees on the roof of this stupid car pretending to man this flamethrower. It's ridiculous. Uh, so I don't Wait, Sniper's crouch. It's not a sniper gun, though. It's supposed to be like a – what it's supposed to look like is like a gun on a Humvee 
where there is a turret. You know, somebody stands up. It's, a, it's like a, a sunroof. There's a hole in the roof of the Humvee, and somebody stands up there and mans the 50 caliber machine gun on a Humvee. Um, but they didn't have a budget to cut a hole in the roof of this muscle car, so they just have, to have people standing on their knees at the top of it, which is ridiculous. They should have uh, put bungee cords on it and strings and given it to somebody. And given a flamethrower and guitar, yeah. Mm. All right, so what? why did I mention that, Kelly Wand? I don't know. Oh, I don't either. Because you didn't right. want to hear my number two. Oh, right. Two. Have you told us yet? Oh, so you haven't even told us no, yet. No, I was right. listening to you. So what is your fa- second favorite tutorial in a movie, Kelly Wand? Kelly Wand, I'm trying to say something. Now stop not telling me a thing. Yeah, we, we, That's yeah. The world wants to know your second favorite tutorial, Kelly Wand. By the way, I was kind of annoyed when the Earth didn't stand still the first time I saw that movie. Like, I thought that was going to be the plot of the movie. Like, oh, shit, stuff's going to crash. It's going to be like an earthquake. But then it's just like a robot shows up. The Will, the Will Smith one? Wait, who was in? Oh, no, wait. Who was in that? Jaden Smith. Oh, no, no. Uh, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, 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 right. Of course. Jaden Smith was his backup. And oh, instead cool. of Gort just being a robot, I mean, Gort was a robot, but they were, uh, they were, it was like a nano swarm thing. Yeah. It eats oh. a truck. It's pretty deadly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my number two is Gremlins, because it's like they're told three things they shouldn't do, and then like within a day, Zach Galifianakis does all three of them, like within minutes. Zach Galifianakis, huh? Yeah, the star of Gremlins, and the huh. Gremlins 2, the new batch. So that's my number two, because it's, uh, it's got three. So. The first, My number one's better than that, though. It's well, really, I can't I, wait. Yeah, I'm that was the two towers one, and then Return of the King is going to just fucking melt your brain, bro. Well, since Dingus stole my number one, I'm changing it. Actually, I'm not changing it. It was all along. It was Stranger Than Paradise. What is that? Do you guys is that the movie? Jarmusch movie? Yeah. See, Dingus. I'm trying to remember the tutorial on that. Oh, is so, that the filmmaking moment? No, uh, I don't. Not that I know. I, is there a, there's a filmmaking moment? No, it's a I'm moment where... Oh, movie, sorry. Uh, so Esther Belint is a, uh, a Hungarian oh, really? immigrant. She's come over to stay with, I guess, her cousin, John Lurie, in New York. Um, and he's not really... Like, he's kind of put out with her being there. He'll deal with it. Uh, but at one point, she is going to vacuum. So she gets out the vacuum cleaner, and she says, uh, I'm going to vacuum now. And he, just to mess with her, says, oh, it's... You know, here in America, that's way too formal a way to say it. That's not how you say it in America. That's too formal. And she's like, oh, well, what do you say? And he says, well, here in America, we say uh, you're you're choking the alligator. And she's like, okay, I'm going to choke the alligator. And she does that. It's just adorable little moment, and it's indicative of uh, how much she trusts him, by the way. It's so adorable. Uh, but in that scene, you can also see – like, I don't I, – I can't quite t- – you can't quite tell from the scene – if she believes him or not, or if she's humoring him, which is just really cute. And by the That's way, not... I didn't know this. Um, Esther Belint is in season four of Louie, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, oh. She's in like six. She's in a six episode arc apparently, which I can't wait to see. There's six episodes. Of, of see, well, I don't know how many episodes mm. are in the season, but when I looked her up on IMDb to see what she's been doing lately, she hasn't been in movies in, in quite a while. Uh, I saw that she was in six episodes of Louie in the fourth season. Dingus, are you caught up on Louie? No, no, I'm pretty okay. far behind. Um, all right, so uh, I'm changing. I mean, I'm not changing. Not a my, tutorial. My number one all along was Stranger Than Paradise, and it's oh. John Lurie teaching Esther Belint 
the colloquial way to describe vacuuming the floor. It's a tutorial, <laughs> yeah. Dingus, what's your favorite tutorial in a movie? Right, here's a little bit of dialogue from this one as well. Uh, okay, we have an unusual pr- procedure for you here. We need you to rip the cover off. He wants you to rip the cover off the flight plan. Flight plan? No. Uh, this oh, is I know, from... I know, I do know, I do know, I know it. What is it? Can I guess Dr. Strangelove? No. Shoot. Uh, it's from Apollo 13, oh. and it's um, this great sequence where uh, the the dudes at, down at, at Mission Control have to figure out how to put a uh, a square peg in a round hole, which is that they have to figure out how to make the CO2 scrubber from the LEM work for the CO2 scrubber for from the other part of the ship. I can't remember what that's called. But they're, they've been designed by different companies, so they're completely different mechanisms. One is this long cylinder that looks like a long... I don't know, filter for a hot tub or a, or a swimming pool. And the other one looks like this big square thing. And they have to be able to make both of those happen. And so they dump this huge thing of, this is everything they have on the ship that they're going to be able to use, and you guys figure it out. And so the, the scientists all work together, and they come up with this uh, workaround, and they give this all these pages of directions to the guy who's communicating to Bill Paxton up at the ship. And build back, and and they do it step by step. First, you have to rip the cover off that. Then you have to take this piece of plastic and drape it over here. Then you need to take um, some gray tape. I'm sorry, it's called duct tape, and you need three feet of it. Don't you, you don't don't measure it. Just it's a, it's basically about the length of your arm. Just use the length of your arm. Now rip it down lengthwise. And they do this step by step tutorial on how they're going to build this CO2 scrubber in order that they will be able to stay alive and not be poisoned by carbon dioxide. And I, I, I just, I'm so crazy about Apollo 13 and how it does these little moments like that and makes them so dramatic. Uh, Kelly Warren, I think that qualifies as a tutorial. How do you feel about that? Was that before or after they find the spiders on the moon? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Dingus, I would like you right now to go on record. I'm going to ask you this. And I'm going to remind you of what you've said to, to this uh, when when the time comes, um, there's a there's a, a novel that a friend of ours introduced us to called The Martian about a guy about a, an astronaut who is stranded on Mars um, and it's kind of a survival drama thing. Uh, it's currently I think they've stopped production, but it, it's slated to come out what? I believe in December. Uh, a, a, a film adaptation of The Martian starring uh, Matt Damon, directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, Dingus, you and I have both read the novel. Uh, Will the Ridley Scott adaptation of The Martian that comes out this holiday season, will it suck? I'm going to have to say yes if they've stopped production. But no, no, I mean, I think they're done. Like, I think it's, it's Oh, I thought you meant they, I thought there was <laughs> problems in that. No, no, there's pre-production. The word production. is wrapped for that. There's, there's, pre-production, there's pre-production, production, and post-production. I think they've moved on like it's not filming anymore. It's now in post-production. Um, it will come out this holiday season. Um, well, I've, I've ceased to trust Ridley Scott. So yeah. I'm going to have to say but, probably, yeah. No, I like the counselor. I think I'm a counselor, Paul. All right, well, Kelly, when you haven't read the novel, so I wasn't asking you. You don't get to answer this question. True story. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to say yes, Dingus, that it will suck? Yes, I'm, I'm going on record and saying that, uh, that a Ridley Scott movie about this particular book uh, is going to suck. Even though Kelly Wan brought up the counselor? I don't know what that means since I didn't like the counselor. <laughs> Ah, very what good. was his last science fiction movie? Prometheus. So how can it suck? Try harder, Kelly. Um, 
I, I noticed too. Uh, one of the main actresses in in the uh, the Martian, uh, Kristen Wiig. What? I love. All that. right, I, then I'm, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't I even it. know. I didn't know anybody who was in it, so this is all news to me. There's a girl in the Martian. Well, I knew it was Matt Damon, but there are at least two women on the 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 ast- on the the yeah. astronaut crew. What do you call it? the crew? I guess to the Martian expedition when he gets left behind. Uh, and I'm hoping that Kristen Wiig is one of them because that would be yeah. awesome. One of them is the commander of the mission, and I wonder if that's her. Well, unfortunately, she's billed after on IMDb after Kate Mara and Jessica Chastain. So Kate I'm, Mara, I'm, all right. Yeah. But I'm I'm, ho- I'm hoping they don't just like leave. I don't know. Actually, maybe she'll be one of the cool ground control people. But I love Kristen Wiig playing a scientist in a dramatic role. I, I love that idea. So, like but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Dingus, and then I'm guessing it's probably going to suck. Uh, yes, Kelly, one. Oh, like Chris Elliott in The Abyss. He was serious. Just for that, Kelly, one, you don't get to read your number one for the tutorials. <laughs> it's probably just as well. All right. No, you, you promised great things. You said it was really uh, going to crest, and then it was really going to come together with your number one pick, your list. So, Kelly Wand, wow us all with your favorite tutorial. Oh, no, I haven't done mine. Yes, I have. Kelly Wand, wow us all with your favorite tutorial from a motion picture. <clears throat> micro changes in air density. All right. Uh, uh, micro changes in air density, my ass, is my response. I like how they never really use that exactly? thing. What, what's that? He's things? going. How is that a tutorial exactly? It's an explanation of the thing that he created. How is that a tutorial? Yeah, Kelly. No, he goes, put your hand in front of it, and then she does, and then it makes a weird noise, and he goes, see? And right, and so it. she's supposed to do that when she's using it to find the alien? She's supposed to constantly put her hand in front of it? Well, then they never use it again. Uh, they use it for a throughout the movie. It's used in, it's certainly used in aliens, yeah. All right, well, that's fair enough, because she points it in different Well, and, and I think it's, is it, I think it's Sigourney Weaver who, or no, maybe it's Veronica Cartwright. Someone asks Ash how it works, and he basically says, well, you wouldn't understand. It's microchanges in air density. And, and then that's when Sigourney Weaver, I believe, says microchanges in air density, my ass. They don't trust What's him. What's that, man? Oh. Uh, all I right, think Kelly, my what? favorite of these is the surprise true story choice of double negatives. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, really, I really, really like that. I, I, don't, I don't know that it is a tutorial, and I don't care. Because right. I, I love it. It's such a great surprise, Tom. Well done. I would have liked to have seen, I mean, just because we liked so much the scenes they together, I would have liked to have gotten a lot more of, and I'm not even being facetious, of Jonah Hill analyzing James Franco's writing. Like, I would have loved to have gotten more of that. Absolutely. It was it was sort of a literary version of the quid pro quo between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling. And, ah, and I, I really yes. loved that. And, and I, I agree with you. I would like to see more of that because he handled it effortlessly. Yeah. Maybe deleted scenes on the DVD. Yeah. All right, Kelly Wand, what do listeners have for us? Not very many. Even most of Because it's a stupid topic. Huh. Proposed by an idiot. Signifying. But Markardson didn't care, and Weimer didn't care. Like, that's how bad this topic is. They might just be busy. Don't take it personally. Yeah, I'm sure it's an excellent topic, and that everybody's thrilled to hear it. Yeah. Josh writes, in no particular order, in the Coppola Dracula, when Dracula teaches Winona Ryder how to drink absinthe in what seems to be the very pimp and lounge of a movie theater and tells her about the little green fairy in the bottle. Wait, that's... That's good. That's a step-by-step process. You have to pour like the thing over the sugar and the spoon. Yeah, I can see that. 
She gets all bad acting drunk, and the white wolf is running around scaring everybody, and Dracula pets it, because all us absinthe drunks like to wolf pet. Have you guys ever had absinthe? <laughs> yeah, I have. I like it. It tastes like licorice. And does it feel any different than just being tipsy on anything else? Or uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm kind of hard. I'm a hard drunk to get drunk. I feel like I'm not doing it right. I'm a very. I'm a lightweight. So I wasn't sure if I was getting... I wasn't sure I'd had enough or not. I was just going by the taste. I didn't realize it tasted like licorice, because I've had, like, ouzo and... Uh, yeah, are you, still, are you sure you're not thinking about ouzo? Yeah, Kelly Wand, you might be thinking of ouzo. Because um, absinthe is a whole process, where they like, they put a spoon on there and a, and a sugar cube, and you have to pour it over. I mean, there's a whole process to it. And Kelly Wand, you don't uh, do any of that with ouzo. No, I didn't. Ouzo, you basically drop a couple of espresso beans in, and you're done. What's this other stuff that's like ouzo, Dingus? Um... There's another licorice-based uh, liqueur stuff. Oh, man, I can't ever remember. All right. I, I, it's, no, I can't remember. Arsenic? You're thinking of old lace, Kelly. Damn it, Tom. I could get the bath. <laughs> 1890s. <laughs> Beverages. All right, so that's Josh's... Uh, oh, Josh oh, I'm sorry. He said in no particular order. I was going to say it was his number three pick, but he did specify no particular order. Okay. Right. That's a legal move, right? Oh, sure, and yeah. How- in Robin Hood, Prince of Accents, when Costner tackles, I'm sorry, teaches, <laughs> I don't like the morning, teaches those hobos of the forest how to love themselves through tree village construction. God, that happens. I think I will, I don't think I've seen that entire movie, the Alan Rickman rape, rape and hood one. And in Total Recall, when an unnecessarily smug past Arnold teaches present Arnold how to... Oh, that's a good one. How to get the glow ball out of his nose as YouTube instructional video. That's a great one, because yeah, he's giving it to that. himself. Sure. Another great topic, Juan. Put those Teutons to the sword. Josh. In Victoria. Uh, Wait, are we Teutons? Oh. I don't think he meant you. The weather's very Vancouver here. It's making me kind of homesick in a twisted way. Jaime Cabrera? Yay, Jaime. This was a great topic, and I had to actually choose a theme in order to narrow it down. To the three-by-three police, these are technically not one character teaching another, but I think that they're in separate enough places in their lives, and perhaps the three-by-three judge will rule in my favor. Okay. I think that would have been better in Latin. Here are my top three picks. Number three, Paycheck. Spoiler alert. I never saw this movie. Paycheck? Payfleck? Ben Affleck inverts, invents a machine that sees in the future and then wipes his own memory of it, but leaves himself clues on how to survive. I hate that shit. And stop the machine from starting a nuclear war. I hated this movie, mostly because I'm a fan of neither Ben Affleck nor Emma Thurman, which is why I put it third. But I thought it was a perfect tutorial. I hate those movies where you got a, the, it's like a scavenger hunt kind of plot, like that Tom Hanks 9/11 one. Number two, Galaxy Quest. Tommy the pilot learns how to pilot the spaceship by watching old episodes of the show where he piloted the pretend ship. This only works because the aliens designed the flight system after the way his character flew the ship. Uh, number one, Total Recall. Arnold teaches his memory white self. See. How to pull a tracker out of his nose. There's lots of him teaching himself in this movie, but this one made the biggest impression when I watched it as a kid. Runner-up, Zombieland, The Rules. I learned so much 
use, and this one is my favorite pick, but really it's just a character in the movie teaching the audience. So I figured I'd get a citation for that. Thanks all. Look forward to hearing everyone's picks. Tom, only three listeners total, and two of them picked uh, Total Recall. Well, let's see if we can make this a hat trick. Hat trick. Here we go. Actually, can I I just say I kind of like Jaime's choice of Zombieland as a tutorial for the audience. I'm not opposed to of using that, I mean, one of us could have gone with that as, you know, taking like a narration to the audience as a tutorial. I kind of like that. Anyway, go ahead. In that case, case, I'm changing my number one pick to, uh, um, uh, dadgummit, what's that, uh, Sunset, shoot, what's the thing? Yes, Sunset Boulevard is my number one pick. (laughs) All right, mine's good, fellas. Kelly, when do you want to change any of yours? Mine's Ghostbusters when he says don't cross the streams. That's the change-up, I think. Arthur Jelly writes, Number three, The Matrix. This has been brought up a lot recently, but I love the scene where Neo's taught how to jump. In The Matrix. The I tried, the, to, I tried to bend The Matrix to my all during this, cause, but uh, I even ended up looking at the screenplay because I was hoping that they talked about the Kung Fu sequence as a tutorial program, but it's a training program. And I wa- what I wanted to use was her learning the helicopter flying program mm, as a so. tutorial, but it's just, it's so, it's such a fast pass by that I couldn't, but I, I, I respect him using that, that the jump sequence. I didn't think of that. Uh, number two, wreck it. Ralph, after stealing a car, Ralph must give Van von Schweetz a crash course on how to drive. I think it's, there's no spoon by the way. Fortunately for Ralph, racing is in Vanellope's code. It's like a three-year-old. And she learns quickly. An adorable sequence reminds me of my first driving lessons. Tom, I don't know how old you were when you had driver's ed in high school, but when I had it, we would sit at these like consoles, and the dude would go, Number three, you're dead! Because you'd be all like watching the projection. Yeah, that sounds fun. I don't think I ever had driver's ed. I never got to do anything like that. Number one, Inception. After recruiting Ariadne, Cobb and Arthur (laughs) must teach her how shared dreaming works through various tutorials. All the lessons are interesting. My favorite is the one in which Ariadne folds a city. Great setup, and then she never uses it. I thought the city was going to get fucking folded. It's in the trailer. That's a great one. That's, That's absolutely, yeah, he's walking her through a tutorial. That's great. Yeah, it's a tutorial. Yeah, that's know, what this of... topic was. I mean, that that that's kind of the perfect representation of that. And I'm really pissed that I didn't think of it. That Inception thing where he's walking, he's walking her through a tutorial, and and he's like that sort of video game voice. He's like, no, yeah, what you have to think of is this. What you have to think of is that. Um, I like that. I kind of like that choice. Well, my rule is. They have to use the your tutorial has to like. Work. You didn't have any rules, so don't try my rule is. So Kelly Wan, just so you know, uh, she actually does start vacuuming after that scene, Stranger Than Paradise. So that, <laughs> that would apply for my number one pick. I just want to make that clear. What happens to the alligator? She turns the vacuum cleaner on. She's actually operating it. So <sighs> the tutorial true. does come to fruition. All right, then you're. Uh, I accept your bluff. Thank you. And that's it. Uh, I, I would have loved to have picked. So in Jaws, there's a great bit where Roy Scheider is tying the knot 
um, when uh, Robert Shaw is, is strapped into the little fishing rig. Um, and presumably he was recent. He was taught how to tie the knot by Robert Shaw. Like Quint taught Brody how to tie knots. We never actually got to see any of the teaching, unfortunately. Mm. So I couldn't get pause for this. Yeah. Uh, my runners up were Casino, and there was this one episode of Mash where um, TV show doesn't count. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to call that one. Wait, wait. This, nope, it's this a TV show. The, no, it's a TV show. Tom's not just the police now. He's the military police. That's right. Oh, wait, this is from the military. I will, I will declare martial law, if need be, to clamp down on you bringing up a TV show for a 3x3. Three three. Uh, they're defusing a bomb. And no, no, wait, hold on. So you're sure this is in the movie and not... Yeah, it's in the movie MASH. Match. Okay, that was close. So Hen- Henry Blake's character in the movie MASH goes, okay, cut the yellow wire, and then Hawkeye cuts it, and then he goes, after cutting the green wire... Because he's reading it from a book. It's hilarious, book. man! That mash movie must be really. F- is it funnier than the Monty Python movie, Kelly Wand? Yeah, you have to ask Robert Altman and Graham Chapman. Pull up your pants. So uh, my one runner-up would be um, when and I would I would choose because I just watched this a couple weeks ago uh, in the movie the air in the movie Airplane uh, when uh, the. I when the pilot is, when either uh, either one of them, Julie Haggerty or whatever that dude's name is, um, is told how to land the plane, and they're given step by step instructions. You have to take this and pull this down and that. Um, I, I wanted. I, I watched Airplane before doing the cliche one, and it just seemed too easy for that, so I left it off of all those. But well, you should go to the source material and just pick Airport, where George Kennedy is explaining that Karen Black had to land the airplane. And, and I kind of felt like you're right about that, Tom, but I haven't seen that in so long that I felt mm-hmm. and I felt like choosing that would have been right. But I was also looking, and this is not specific, I was looking for things where, where, where some dudes are supposed to do a job of some kind, and one of them gets injured or gets sick and can't do it, and then has to Give some guy, guy a tutorial. No, no. You can, we can still do the heist or whatever. All you have to do is this, 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 and this, even though I can't do it. That is like, so weirdly specific, but it makes me think of the change-up where Ryan Reynolds is an actor, Jason Bateman is a lawyer, <laughs> and they have to cover for each other. And they're explaining to each other how to go in because they've body switched. I left out that important element. They've switched bodies, and they have to explain to each other, you know, here's what you do at the meeting. Here's what you do at the movie shoot. Um, All right, good. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I was thinking more like like Ocean's Eleven or some sort of like military thing where like some guy breaks his leg and he sends another dude into the tunnel and this is what you'll do and this is what you do. But I could not get the specifics. Yeah. Well, it's a tough topic. You got to challenge yourself. Man, it really is. That really yeah. did tax my abilities as a three by three or Kelly Wand. Yeah, that was. Tough. What's your topic for next week, Mister Big Shot? So uh, PBS just ran. Um, a series uh, called Wolf Hall, which recently ended, um, which was amazing. It's Mark Rylance, uh, and it, it's about uh, it's about several things, but one of the overarching lines is uh, Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, their their relationship. Um, so that inspired, partly inspired this topic. Uh, also, my sister recently moved to Canada, and she was mentioning how weird it was to see the, the Queen of England and all the money. Yeah. I was making fun of her and saying, you know, well, you are now a subject of the Queen of England, and you have to swear fealty to her and do whatever she says, and you know that's what happens if you are, are under English rule like that. 
So this uh, got me to thinking, and what I want from you guys are your favorite monarchs in movies. <laughs> Kings or queens, and I mean actual monarchs. Not butterflies. Don't, don't come back at me with the King of New York, Christopher Walken. You know, uh, I don't want to hear about men who would be kings. I mean, actual kings and queens. <laughs> what about um, Duke of New York, a number one? Not oh. a monarch. Duke is not a monarch. I want a duke in a in a baron and a count. Those are like titled landholders. Those are not what monarchs. About the, what about Donald Pleasance? Is me. Donald Pleasant is he a king or a queen? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So say, ask yourself that before you pick someone. Um. Yeah. So yeah, just monarchs. Monarchs are. Uh, you know, the people, it's, it's something that we as America, we don't really, it's weird to us. You know, who would ever be born into ruling something? That just makes no sense. Why would you ever do that? W. Uh, so what I want from you guys, not a monarch, uh, what I want from you guys are your favorite kings and queens for movies. Wait, wait whoa. Kings no, what? and queens. Queens or monarchs also. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Because um, it just asks people living in England. You know, they don't have a king now. They have a queen. Uh, they have to do everything she says. Kelly Wan, when you lived in Vancouver, if the Queen of England had come up to you and said, give me a coffee, you would have to do it. I love yeah, how you say Vancouver ever... with emphasis on van. Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. How do I, you always say, I always say Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah. Why do you talk that way? What's the matter with you? Because I, 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 I love windmills. Thing is, what, so, line, what movie is this line from? Cop Talks Funny. I don't know, Tom. Cop Out? Really? No, that's that great line that John Hamm has about Chris O'Dowd in Bridesmaids. Um, <laughs> Family handshake. Uh, did you take anything officially off the table? No, no. All right, good times. Not that I know of, yeah. No. What about primogenitor? What about Gavelkind? Primogenitor. I think I know the word you're trying to think of, Kelly Wan. You got very close to it. Uh, primogeniture. Um so no, these are from movies, not from a video game you're playing, you. Kelly Wand. I know. You oh. I'm, I'm trying to make you a better person, Kelly Wand. Monarchs. Yeah, what about so a butterfly. If you would like to, Dingus already made that joke, but thank you for uh, trying. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening and you have some monarchs from movies you would like to submit, <laughs> we would love to read them on the air. Uh, send your picks to three by three at quarter to three dot com, uh, and we'll read them next week when we see Tomorrowland. Ooh. I don't know what to think of it. I mean, Brad Bird, we liked the Ghost Protocol movie. We all love Incredibles. Um, but it's you know. also a movie named after I, Tomorrowland. I, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out what the deal is. I don't I don't know if it is based on a Disney property. We'll find out next oh, week. Excuse me. Um, and uh, I'm Tom Chick. I've been joined by uh, Christian McClonsky. It's Christian Morosky. And we also had Kelly Wand here. Shrimp, shrimp, spam and shrimp. Monty Python. La 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 la. Just a terrible day. <laughs> Drink sangria in the park. Sangria? And then later. God, you guys are so mean to Lou Reed. Not a monarch. <laughs> Just a perfect day. King Louis. Your sister gets Victoria Day off, by the way. You know what I'm saying? We're way ahead of us. Well, Dingus, I think we all know which Fury Road character I was. Shows.
everyone in the old world had a show. <laughs> That's so true. That's what caused the war, huh? <laughs> 